everyone. Welcome to Enjoy Your Stay. We hope you enjoy your stay. It's the Mega Talks Podcast where we will be week by week on HBO. I guess you could call it a miniseries at this point. Maybe a series. Maybe just a television show now. It's a serial, Spencer. White Lotus. <laughs> you got there. You got there eventually, yes. It is a TV series. Of well, who knows how was, many was, seasons go forward. It was definitely billed as a miniseries in season one. Then they decided to do season two. So I, I guess now it's just a regular television show. But we are here with you on the Enjoy Your Stay podcast. This is a Mangum Talks podcast. We review White Lotus week by week. We were with you last week for episode one. We are with you now. Episode two. Spencer, what did you think of episode two? I liked episode one better. Episode two struck me as a little bit weirder, but I still found it quite enjoyable just because we're getting even more engrossed in the mystery of these characters and what the hell is driving them. Particularly for several of these people, we're starting to get a more of an inkling of what they're after, and I'm just waiting for the drama to inevitably unfold when that comes all the more to the fore and out in the open. Yeah, I mean, I think I like this just as much. It was, I mean, I'm really in the show for weird. I want it to be just strange. <laughs> That's typical. I like, I like it to be uncomfortable. I like it to just be sideways. And that, this episode certainly delivered that. I think that they're going somewhere with the Greg Tanya plot. That might be like almost like a multi-season arc. We are firmly in season two. And unless we're correct that Greg is on the chopping block by the end of this season, who knows how many other destinations around the world these two lovebirds can travel to. And I do lovebirds with giant air quotes. Massive, massive air quotes, italicized, underlined, anything you can to draw attention to the fact that that is not in fact true. Greg sucks. He really sucks. It's quite a bummer because I'm just... You know, the more these episodes go on, I mean, Tanya, wildly flawed person, right? I'm not breaking new ground. It's apparent, her. yes. But she seems she seems like a kid at heart. She seems like not a bad person. This this episode especially, I found myself a little bit charmed by her. What did you think? I did too, just because she had such she had such a simple, happy dream, and it was fulfilled. And there's a certain degree of you know shared bliss going into that. I'm also in very much the same page, and I think they set up some reasons why. She is very much a needy child. It's how she interacts with the world. It's how she interacts with other people. She is capricious. She she has whims. She has constantly flowing desires that are largely self-centered. But she doesn't come across as malevolent. Just clueless. In almost like the clueless movie style of the word clueless. She's Monica Vitti. She's Monica Vitti, my friend. Or Peppa Pig. Uh, so this is a... Episode by episode, weekly review podcast of The White Lotus. We'll be with you every week, probably on Tuesday nights. We're with you Wednesday night this week because it was election night last night. Spencer and I took it off. We hung out. We watched, uh, I can't, Spencer can't get away from me. He still had to hang out with me. And we watched, <laughs> watched election returns. And most weeks we're going to be with you on Tuesday night. We're doing one episode a week to review White Lotus. We'll be we're here with you all season. I am super excited about this, Spencer. We had a pretty big fan reaction, I think, to episode one i think we got some people who are who are going to be with us on this season and the cool part and i haven't even told you this i like to break news to you on the podcast hmm. is that i've had people who are just fans of ours start to submit their death theories because we Ooh. are doing because as part of our uh so we will do a recap i'll leave the recap and then we do our segments we'll do best line of the episode which we always do on mangum talks review podcast we do best vacation partner worst vacation partner which will be a lot of fun to talk through this week but then we also do who we think's going to die and because we introduced that segment last week i had people just pinging us on social i had friends who listen people i know who listen just reaching out and saying okay here's my death theory here's my death theory right so i'll be able to when we get to that segment this week actually talk about 
who I think is going to die, but then also who some of our fans think are going to die, which might be might be fun. I'm excited, sir. I, I want to hear what the collective knowledge of the internet has put put to paper with respect to this. All right, let's jump to White Lotus Season 2, Episode 2. I believe this is called Italian Dream, something like that? Perfectly named, given how much uh, certain characters' Italian dreams are fulfilled before the episode is over. Oh, I love Tanya. I do love Tanya. I really do. I just think she's, I just think she means so well. All right, so we start with Ethan. He's leaving early in the morning to go for a run, and he runs into Lucia leaving. So she, uh, out, out the more, she actually stayed the night, which I felt like was interesting. It is. Um, I don't think that's, that's necessarily common in her profession. You have to pay extra she, for that. She left early. Are we, are we going to get Lucia jokes? Are we, is that what I'm getting this episode? Cause I'm going to fight you on Lucia. There will be a few. I've got a few <laughs> written down. Don't worry. <laughs> a few written down. Oh, we see Cameron and Daphne waking up. Daphne won't let go of Cameron's arm. Small point here, Spencer. I really don't like when that happens. When your arm gets trapped under the person yeah. you're spooning with. Yeah. And then they, they don't want to let it go because to them it's super comfortable. And you're like, my arm is dying. What? I'm on hour six of this and I haven't slept. What do you do with that? Do you just tough it out and you know, endure for their comfort? Or do you rip your arm out and accidentally throw them off the bed? So I'm married, so I move my arm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, same. Because you can't, like, I, it reaches a point, a critical point where you just can't do that every night, right? Like, so I move my arm. But I'll tell you, when I was dating, trying to impress people, I have had many a sleepless night with the with the arm uncomfortable, just in that prison, in that pillow head prison that you just can't get it out of. <laughs> Caught, forced to endure throughout the evening of unimaginable pain. It's like a very, very initially pleasurable fox trap you know you're just stuck in it um it, it, it's interesting with this open opening scene of where i feel like this episode did a lot to try to subvert our expectations on the category of nerd they're going with when it comes to ethan of where the guy works out as we see him in the shower later the guy's fit he isn't you know, like doing a lot of the check boxes of where of, of emphasizing that point of contrast made between him and cameron He's a good-looking guy that makes a lot of active effort to care for himself, to the point that Harper actually even mocks him for it to other people um, with respect to his almost religious need to run all the time. I wonder what degree that's an aspect of the character of where he's almost like hyper-responding to how people reacted or treated him back when he was in school, and he's making a conscious effort to not be like that anymore. That could that could very well be the case. I also, Spencer, would like to introduce you to a brand of nerd I'm not sure that you know yet. I'm not familiar, um, go on. It's called it's the California nerd. Okay, Not so if you if you're a nerd in California, this is my general understanding. So you know all mm. our, all our California listeners, I'm sure they're just going to back me up and give me five star ratings and not and remotely trash me on Twitter for generalizing that. So <laughs> Californians, no. The, so California nerd is like you're you're still a nerd, but like you're eating avocado and you're playing volleyball and you're still doing all the California shit. There's still an expectation of physical fitness. The sort of like sit in your basement with land parties and just be like sort of mishy. I think that's really an East coast nerd thing. I don't really think that's like acceptable in nerd circles in a lot of parts of California. You, you raise an interesting question. Cause we hear explicitly this episode that Cameron and Daphne are from New York. Have we heard that the Harper and Ethan are from California? I'd suspect they are given the tech, but I, I, did, I don't know. Have they actually said Oh, I don't know where they're really from. I just think the actors probably California. California fit, and I think they just kind of play in that. But I think that I think that that there's way more in 2022 quote nerds who are interested in physical fitness than there were 30 years ago. Very true. Um, very true. And I th- I really like that because I identify uh, as a nerd in nerd culture, and I also work out every day. So uh, and um, me, shut up. me me being a traditionalist, I do not. 
then we see Tanya wake up and Greg is already awake, just sitting there staring into the distance. So obviously, obvi- well, obviously I hate Greg uh, by, by the end of this episode, <laughs> no, right? Really? But it, right, there were parts of this episode where I was sympathetic. This is why the show's so great. I was sympathetic for Greg until, of course, we got that last scene, and then the whole it was like the atomic bomb, right? It was it, like absolutely. But at this point, I was like, oh, he's really miserable with this woman. Like, I feel bad for this guy. He's just like woke up at five o'clock to stare into the distance and be like, what has my life become? But yeah. what we learn later is he, what he's really thinking is, what has my second life become? Yeah, okay. It is so on the nose for what they're setting up there at the end. I'm just waiting for them to subvert it. I'm trying to ponder how they're gonna. Cause it, is it, could it be just so direct and coarse on this show that, yeah, he's got a second life and he's trying to screw over or cheat on her or manipulate her or whatever else? Or is he planning a surprise birthday for her with his sister or something? No, because he says, I love you at the end. You could say, I love you to family members. Are you going to say I love you to your wife's sister to close uh, the conversation? It's, no, I think they're pretty – I think it's I, – I, I think you're going to be disappointed because I think it's just on the nose. That's what I think it is. Very possible. Then the morning starts and we see Valentina walk into the lobby. i got to tell you, this Valentina character is the fucking best. She barks all kinds of orders. Patrizio, his place is outside. She can't believe Alessandra's having a coffee. Rocco tells her good morning. And I mean, really, Rocco? Really? She walks to take her place while telling everybody to get to work. And I got to say, I'm going to say this no less than three times during this podcast, so get ready for it. I don't know how Valentina got her job because she sucks at her job. <laughs> oh, it is an interesting thing because she's not great with her staff. She's nope. not great with the customers. Nope. She seems constantly put upon and not completely in command of the situation. Maybe we're getting a nepotism read on this, or maybe she just browbeat ah. her way into the position. Oh, nepotism. I like I like that theory. That's my new headcanon for how Valentina got this job, because I'm going to mention it multiple more times during the yeah. recap. Because There is mo- moments where she's just outright bad at her job in this episode. I, I am missing one of the things we got for season one, particularly at this point, was how much time we got to spend with the staff and their perspective and how that interacted with the guests. We're not getting that as much in this season. I think they're telegraphing that that's just not what the season is going to focus on. But we still have Valentina, and she's just great. Not in a way I'd ever want to go on a trip with, but as no. an entertaining character, heart, heart 8.5 out of 10. I enjoy Valentina quite a bit. So then we see the morning buffet, Spencer, right up your alley. I mean, my gosh, oh, look yeah. at this buffet. Good buffet. It's a dream come true. You, Italian uh, dream now, come true. Now, question for you. Do you like the morning buffet? Are you a big fan of like the, the morning buffet breakfast? Or is it more of like a you like the, the dinner buffet where you sit and just hammer plate after plate? Can I answer yes? Because that's the truth. Give me a buffet breakfast, buffet lunch, buffet... You know, after after lunch snack, buffet dinner, supper, all buffets, all great. Tanya walks in with Greg and sees Portia immediately and gets uncomfortable. Spencer, how small is this hotel? Do they have to see each other at every fucking meal? You were hitting Portia pretty hard last episode with respect to these kind of things. I'm going to start going after a little bit, too, about... It seems like some of these are avoidable. <laughs> I know the show's just playing with it, making a joke at this point that they have to run into each other every available opportunity. But at a certain point, I think some of these are unforced errors on Portia's part. Like, I'm gonna we tell know you this she about, can eat in her room. I'm going to tell you this about Portia. Portia seems like a good person, fine person. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not, I'm, I, for me, for Lee, just me individually, she's a person I would never be interested in romantically, ever. What? Like not in a million fucking years because there's so many red flags with her where this guy is like, we're going to get to it. But he's like, I, you know, I don't know. I like to be a nice guy. And she's like, 
I just want to fuck around. It's like, okay, all right. Well, then you know what you're going to get from me? You're going to get buddy because we're going to be buddies. <laughs> and I am not going to ever emotionally rely on yeah. you because you seem like a loose cannon. Yeah, that we're going to get that. That scene needs to be unpacked to a heavy degree. I think one of the things we also get out of that scene and also here is that we've not really gotten any read that she's any good at her job or maybe even knows what the scope of her job is. I don't is, think she knows ask. what her job is. Yeah, she doesn't know what it is. She, she, <laughs> she's basically a companion. That's her role, is just to be around and provide emotional support for an incredibly needy person. So she may have no other idea what to do besides that. So, I, you know, one of the things that we can offer our podcast listeners, I mean, along with just being entertained, guffaws, laughs, all of that, is I could give, I like to give advice, right? This is you not do. Uncle, Uncle Lee. Lee. This, is not, this is not Uncle Lee with the kids. This oh. is just simply... This is just simply us to the the viewer of White Lotus. I would just implore everyone to watch this with subtitles on because there are background conversations that go on that are really funny. An example of this is Tanya in the background talking with Greg and she looks over the balcony and she just goes, I wonder if anybody has ever jumped over the railing. And then in the very next breath, very next breath, she goes, why didn't I bring my roller skates? (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. The first one was audible. The second one, I only got that one. I mean, the subtitles. And I'm just pausing on my screen saying, wait, 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 wait. Let's go back. Is this the subtitle just fucking with me? It's like, where did that come from? <laughs> just, she's the best. There's, the, there's a lot of it, though, where characters are in the background and you get like, and I, I really wish I could interview like the showrunner for this and ask like how much of that is written or if they just let the characters sort of talk in the background and then they pick up certain amounts of it, right? Because... These productions, they do, they go either way with these types of things. Sometimes they just let the characters just in character, just sort of talk in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, because whoever wrote that, I, why didn't I bring my roller skates? That's just genius. <laughs> that, Cause that is, that is absolutely <laughs> off the wall. And Greg is just ignoring, ignoring her. Obviously, Portia gets up to leave and it looks like Greg does see her. Did you catch that? He does. Greg, they, he very distinctly sees her right then and there and doesn't ever, doesn't comment on it again for the rest of the episode. Yeah, we, but I was surprised about it. I think they have the conversation off screen because later on, you know, Tanya openly talks about Portia being there and it yes. doesn't seem like a surprise. So I think they have the conversation off screen. Then Portia comes over to sit next to Albie, who's out on the porch. Albie asks her if she's okay. And she just goes, my boss is just, and Albie just watches her smiling. Albie is over the moon for this woman. And I don't know why. Um, Tanya's he, having he some likes trouble at the buffet. pretty wounded birds. Let's remember that quote for later. That's a that's a good call out. Tanya is having trouble at the buffet. She drops something, and uh, you know I was thinking, good thing it wasn't class. I mean that's what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> she's look. Here's the thing. Tanya is socially awkward, but she does try, right? Because she drops this thing. She realizes she's kind of making a scene, and she goes, "Good thing it wasn't class. I only have four hands." So I she's trying cute. to make some jokes to like make it along. The unfortunate part is she's run across Harper, right? And Harper just gives her a look and goes, I think somebody's going to come help you with that. (laughs) There's the category of person of where somebody makes a joke at their own expense and the person you're with immediately just works with them and helps make the situation less awkward. Harper doesn't have an ounce of that in her soul. Can't even fake it. She is not here to make the situation less awkward for you. She is not the social director. She has been socially no. directed, but she is not the social director. Uh, Tanya then asked for an Oreo cookie cake. I gotta say, that's for a breakfast. tough look. That's a tough look at breakfast. That's a real tough one. Do you have an Oreo cookie cake that I can have a slice of here at 8 a.m.? That's rough. It, it's also a tough look at a five-star Italian resort as well to ask for Oreo cookie cake. There's a serious chef in the back that is going to massively roll his eyes before he accommodates that order. 
That is, but that's good writing because that is the type of thing really rich people do, right? Uh, because she doesn't differ. Because she doesn't. Di- but super rich people don't really differentiate between like a rich thing and a poor thing because they mm-hmm. can afford it. They can afford it all. So for her, she just asks for what she wants, right? Yes. Instead of like like playing a character or whatever. Now, um, she ahead. expects a five star Oreo cookie cake, but she wants her category <laughs> of Oreo cookie cake right now. I wonder if she got it. There's so many questions. Uh, cut to Harper sitting down to breakfast. And of course, Cameron and Daphne are already there and wave her over, which hey. Harper just loves. Just She just loves this. That, you know, we have all been in that situation where you're you're vacationing with some people, you know, and you like them okay, mm-hmm. right? But okay. now you're expected to spend all time. Every meal, everything, every walk down the hallway. Yeah, it, it's tough. That, that's a relatable problem that Harper is having right here. Um, they ask where Ethan is. She explains he gets up early to go running. Cameron comments that he hates him for that, which was sort of funny. I thought his, his line I, was kind of funny there. I thought that was well meant, and I thought everybody kind of took it well. No one focused on that being awkward. That, that's just like a thing you say. It's like, that son of a oh, bitch is making me I look bad. It. Yeah, I hate him. Cuts to Dominique and Bert. Uh, Dominique is helping Bert get around. Do you, do you notice that in the, in this scene, he's like holding his arm as if he's like completely feeble. And then like when we get to the the theater later, Bert basically like jogs up the steps. Like I, like the physical capacity of Bert is very much in question in these first two episodes. It, it's either it's either inconsistent or it's just framing the fact that particularly for Dominique. He is just so uncomfortable or embarrassed or worried about his dad making a scene or whatever else that he tries to baby him and also just stifle him at all available opportunities. And so maybe just literally holding him by the arm is just a means of preventing him from getting off his leash and going after somebody. Yeah, it might be. It might be for other people's protection, not for Bert's. (laughs) The flirting monstrosity that he is. They sit down with Albie and Portia. Albie introduces Portia to Dominic. Uh, Bert can't remember that he met Portia. We get two moments in this episode, Spencer, where I have a question for you about the mental capacity of Bert. I'm going to go ahead and ask a question now. Is there something wrong, more seriously wrong with Bert that he didn't remember Portia and then later he calls Portia his grandchild? We're going to need more data to see to what degree because how old do we think Bert probably is? Like 80 They said 80. They said yeah, 80. They said 80. 80-year-olds yeah. 80 forget shit. Best, most lucid 80-year-olds I know still Ooh, occasionally... Ageism. The older you get, the more occasionally you forget <laughs> shit. I don't think this is that out of bounds as being a perfectly healthy, well-together 80-year-old. They just forget you're not, shit. You're not breaking new ground with as you get older, you forget things. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going down on a limb with this one. I've said some outrageous thing on this podcast as time has gone on. This one does not feel I'm going to an 11 with respect to my comments on humanity. Um, yeah. I, you know, they do a lot of misdirection in the show. They do. Yeah. Like, and, and I don't know if this is misdirection or if we're meant to believe that Bert really, cause like Bert's emphasis on, I needed the whole family here makes that, me think there might be something really wrong with him. That, the fact that he kept returning to that and emphasizing that and how much he was offended by that, there was a certain element of, did this guy want the whole family here to reveal he has cancer or something like that? Cause it's one of the things about the show where they so intentionally mess with tropes that yeah. they'll throw things at us to have expectations and you just don't know whether they're actually going to play out or not because they're so hyper aware of what our immediate knee-jerk reaction is to the trope. You're a thousand percent right. Um, and I I called it misdirection, but it is playing on our expectations with these tropes, right? And like, I, I just never, that's why I love the show so much, right? Because there are times when it's like, boom, 
nail hit on the head. And I really think that like Greg having a second life is that instance. But like, I don't know, them on the Vespa today, it really seemed like they were going to crash and they did not crash. <laughs> so you just never know for sure, right? Uh, well, among old guy things that Bert also really does, commenting on the grouting being a major hazard, major old guy thing. Have you, question, have you ever commented on the grouting? I have never personally commented on the grouting. No, I never, I never. I feel like, uh, so you haven't. I'm gonna. I'm totally gonna. You might. (laughs) Me, me in 40 years is gonna have opinions on the grout wherever I go. I know this about myself. Have not at present. Saving it for later. Gonna pick up opinions on grout and bird watching. That's the, that's the, the route Spencer's gonna go. I'm gonna go to a resort and that will be 80% of my enjoyment of the resort is just heavily criticizing the, the, the grouting on Facebook. And also commenting on the resplendent Quetzalcoatl that I saw in an avocado trip. Those that will be my trip. Wow, you got that was that was one take Bartlett right there. You got that out in the first take. I'm here for you, man. Professional, <laughs> As podcast professional. As Bert is talking to Dominic, he's just selling him out left and right. I got to tell you, there in this three person family unit, there are really two really good examples of bad parenting. And there's no good examples of good parenting. <laughs> yeah, we haven't they seen both, any yet. They both suck. I mean, Bert is just giving Dominique the up and down about this. Um, Albie asked how Dominic slept, and Dominic just goes, I slept like crap. Um, and, like, it just seems like a weird tone to take with your son, right? Like, when your son, like, a, you can kind of see how Albie has fallen into this peacemaking thing with a father like that, where he goes, hey, Dad, how'd you sleep? And he just goes, slept like crap. And he yeah. just sort of, like, falls back in his chair. It's like... That's just not like if you slept poorly, like that's cool. But Albie's clearly done nothing to offend Dominic here. This is just how Dominic talks to people. It's weirdly self-destructive for Dominic too, because he just spoke with his wife last episode who told yes. him, your son's pissed at you. He's just the peacemaker and a nice boy and trying to make this work. And a lot of people would get that information and then try to be extra nice to like make up for it and, you know, work with your son and build a connection with the guy who came when his mother and his sister didn't. For sure. Dominic doesn't at all. He's never made it so far on the show. He's made every opportunity to just kind of brush his son off. Yeah. Which is just so weird of a read read of the situation. 100% takes Albie for granted. That's, I think that's abundantly clear. And what, you know what he should be doing? Dominic should be at a table right now. Papers should be all around him and he should be like, okay, all right. uh, So this is my life insurance policy and here's the updated will. Because like, You're the new favorite. Buy you came off. with me. You're yeah, absolutely. You're the new favorite. You came with me, right? Um, Bert jumps in and says, "Well, I slept perfectly, absolutely perfect. Not jet lagged at all. No problems." Portia, in an attempt to make small talk, says, "Well, Albie told me that uh, you guys are here to learn about your Sicilian roots. Sounds like a fun boys' trip." Bert, well, it wasn't supposed to be a boys' trip. So, and I literally like I'm sitting in my seat in my living room. I just said, my both hands went up, and I said, "Here we go. Here we go." Is there? I mean, we pot, we've just offered a bit of a theory about maybe why Bert is just tweaking the shit out of Dominique's nose throughout the entire episode about this. Is there any other reason he's doing it other than that this is just a Bert thing and we're getting to know Bert? Because he really rubs his nose in this by the time he's done. I think it's just his nature with his son to be overly critical, but it could be that he's just he's got something really wrong with him and he's he knows it's his last vacation. Maybe. Could be. Um, but I think he's probably just how he treats it. I'm leaning towards the former, given how much he does it, particularly in the company of other people. He is purposefully doing this in front of Portia at several opportunities. 
Dominique's like, I definitely explained it to you, Dad. I definitely, and I believe he did, right? And mm-hmm. Bert goes, she's mad. All right. But she's going to miss a once-in-a-lifetime family trip to Sicily? Uh, yeah. I, I Look, we heard Abby. Very much she so. Is ve- she is that mad plus some. Very much what, so. What is the plus some to Sicily? What is the level of mad trip that she is? Because she is so far beyond Sicily. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's like uh, one of those like Viking round the world one year cruise oh, trips. God. I think she still would refuse that shit. She is even over that level of mad. Yes. I mean, Abby's pissed. And and uh, <laughs> what's so great is that like Bert continues to try to minimize this. But we've heard it. We know that Dominique's right, that she is that yes. mad. Um, uh, Bert Dominique knows asked, this too. Dominique asks if they could just not talk about it. And Bert goes, well, what's she going to do? Get a divorce? She can't do that. Now that... I'll be a little just here. That is an 80 year old thing to say. That is somebody who's like, well, she's not going to do such a thing. I mean, that's, that's, that's uncouth. No one would get a divorce. And Dominique's like, yep, very much will. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, but that's uh, very much on the table. After 25 years. I mean, this is also a a somewhat showing his age kind of line. You can't let her do that. It's like, yeah, dad, what do you want me to do here? That's what he says. And Dominique, to his credit, he goes, not really my call. Um, Bert then tells Portia, he just turns right to Portia, right? Cause he just, I'll tell you this. I, I'm not a big fan of like Bert as like a person, but his rapport with Portia is pretty engaging. I think the two of them together are pretty funny. Yeah. I actually like, they seem like they worked well with each other and Bert made a conscious effort pretty much every time he was with her to include her yes. in what they're doing. And sometimes it's awkward, like see Hades Persephone discussion later, but he's Ooh, purposely weird. making an effort to make her part of the group, which is nice. And he does. And he turns and he says, hey, I uh, lost my wife uh, last year. Um, 53 years. Love of my life. And I just went, hmm. Hmm. We have one source on this this subject, man. We don't have anything Hmm. to second guess it right now. Hmm. I just, yeah, I just made that noise. And she's been sick a long time, right? Actually, let's let's focus on here. Love of his life. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I just see that guy operate. I don't think that this is something. I don't think he was like he uh, he had he'd been flirting fifty three years before. Paused it and then has since restarted it. This seems like learned behavior. Uh, is Dominique at one point calls him out later? Is that you were not as discreet with your affairs as you apparently think you were? It's like the guy the guy saying that she's the love of his life because he liked her five percent more than the other side piece. Definitely a uh, dog with a bone here with Bert, because then he went right into, and there is no way she would have missed a family trip to Sicily. He's got a jar of salt he's just pouring in his son's wounds right now. Bert then, sa- Bert then says he could have done anything. Could have burned the house down. She wouldn't have missed the trip. Dominique finally says, Dominique, speaking for Spencer, says, you know what? I am going to get the buffet, actually. You know what? Fuck the menu. I'm not waiting for the waitress. I'm getting the buffet. You know, I'm going to offer that. That is a wonderful advantage of a buffet. If you want to get out of t- table conversation you don't like, the buffet is always an excuse. Oh, a total Spencer move. I mean, you, you sit down to the table. There's the buffet option. We're all like, hey, look, can we just like, can we hammer something out about what we're going to do the next couple of days? Spencer goes, I'm getting the buffet. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. So, I got Spencer, a smoothie up there with my name on it. So, so Spencer, Game of Thrones, season eight, best season in television, right? So about that dessert buffet, I'll be back. <laughs> I uh, got to Cameron freaking out on the phone. This was an interesting scene because we saw a side of Cameron that puts now puts him on the table as a potential killer, right? Because we see this out of control temper. Um, he's very much on the. He's very much in the 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 potential uh, 
the potential murderer type uh, suspect. That's what I'm, suspect list. It's a side of him we haven't seen before because previously he's just been his worst his worst personality aspect has been hitting on his seemingly hitting on his uh, best friend's wife and also just kind of being a douche. But even that was to a fairly mild degree. This is just anger at a person on a phone to the point we have characters in scene commenting on it and asking, he doesn't like do that to you, right? To which Daphne takes pain to say, oh, never. We never fight. Do you believe her, by the way? Do you believe no. her that they never fight? Or you think that we're getting a, a unique perspective on events? No, I think they, I definitely think they fight. But I think it's a, I think it's very passive aggressive. Because I think we've even gotten some passive aggressive comments from Daphne to Cameron so far this episode. Mm. Um, so I, I think. I think their fighting isn't like an overt, like I'm like the way that like say Ethan and Harper would fight. I think it's more of a sarcastic, passive aggressive comment, build on each other, build on each other, maybe ignore each other for a couple of days and then you're back together. Right. So, with tickle, I, with some tickle monster time, of course. Of course. You have to have a tickle monster time. I, 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 I feel like she was answering Harper's question of, does he ever yell at you like that? And I'm willing to believe probably not. No. Not that we've seen uh, so far. No, I don't think he does that. Um, so then Harper says she's never met a couple that didn't fight. <laughs> Spencer, what's your take on the... So this is obviously something Harper pick, picks at during the episode. What is your take on this idea? Couples who, quote, never fight, who never overtly go into a disagreement and hash it out, you know, unload on each other from time to time. Good thing, bad thing. Situational doesn't matter. I, I, I think it's very much just how their relationship works. I have met couples that seemingly, or at least honestly, have expressed they never fight. I that is not the relationship I'm in, and I don't think my relationship is in any way problematic because it's different. I think everybody works how they work. The problem is, is where there should be a fight or there should be a discussion, and one person either doesn't want to have it or neither of them are having it. That's a recipe for disaster and issues down the way, but. Bickering, disagreeing, having constant discussions, or even yelling arguing matches. Some people make that work, and for other people, it's just not part of how they interact. I think it's. I would, I would counter. You're right that if there needs to be a discussion and there's not a discussion, that's a problem. I would counter though that there's also the other problem, which is there's now an argument where there's no need for one. Right? Obviously, Fair. like so. There's that too, um, and that's probably what I would point out if I was Ethan to Harper. Is like, yeah, like maybe they they're they're on this side of the spectrum as far as like not fighting, but there's, there's also like you, like you're creating a fight with me right now over thin air, which that's kind of a problem. So, you know, I, I, I think the show is purposely almost trying to set them up and I don't think they actually are, but it's setting up a look from Harper's perspective as if they're one side of the spectrum and we're the other. And our comments about their relationship, not making sense, not working should also have a certain degree of, you know, cast the beam from my own eye before you cast the moat from mine kind of thing. So Cameron comes back and he says they sent his bag to, to New York. Um, well, that's obviously because he went through Rome and not Munich. We all know that. I mean, it's a real problem. As Valentina, the ultimate travels are told us. Really common mistake uh, that we all know not to not to make. Not to, You know, obviously you got to fly through Germany. And she says... Um, well, all's not lost. Like, you know, at least you have your back, right? You, you, we know where it is. And, and we can get new stuff. It'll be fun. And I got to say, Daphne, 
going to be really high up on the best travel partner of the episode. Because there are okay. multiple times when she's saving the day with just positivity. She just jumps in and goes, you know what? We can make a thing of it. We can have fun. And you know what? They do, and it works. I'm going to call her the winner right now. I don't see how anybody's even competing with her in second for, for like a, a close second place. She is making an active effort at all times to make the people around her more comfortable and engage with them. And she is awesome in that regard. One of the cutest moments of the episode is the two of them shopping together. And it's it deserves best. the merit. It's best. That because that is the type of shit that I do with my wife all the time. It's like, great. All the, all it's, so, the time. it's one of those things where if you've got their kind of money, this is an opportunity. You've got a pleasant day out kind of opportunity option right here. Yeah, you know, your kind of money. That's a, that type of money. This no, no, money. I'm going by the Salvation Army and just getting the most cast off clothing to wear for the rest of the trip. You know me. But you can still do that same game at the Salvation Army. You can put a silly jacket on and walk around. And we would and happily do it, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but the cool part, part about Daphne, I completely agree with what you're saying, but she's not social directing, right? She, she's she, she's she doesn't try to, natural. she doesn't try to make people talk about certain things, but when it gets kind of off the rail, she goes, eh, let me dr- drag it back just a touch, right? Shout out to Daphne. It's much more deft. It's she, much, much more deft than a, a social director often is. Yeah, she then brings up, I completely agree, she then brings up how she was telling Harper they never fight, and Cameron says, well, you're practically perfect, right? And then Daphne says, well, when we disagree, you just give in, right? And that, that little bit made me think, eh, it's not, it's not that they don't fight, it's the way that they fight is probably really passive-aggressive. Yeah, it's one of the things where, I think there's two ways to read that scene. I, I think that's the, what you just said is the more likely read. The other possibility is that that was kind of performative for Harper. Of where they were just saying shit to like it, make an excuse for why they don't fight. It's like, ah, you know, he always gives in, so we never fight. So it's, it's almost like it was meant to be a joke for them to share. But I, it depends, depends to a certain degree whether it's true or not. Yeah, but when later when he says like, hey, don't cut my balls off, she goes, yeah, but I could. Like, I mean, I, I you know, she, there's just a little vibes from Daphne here and there that it's like, everyone, I, I like her. Talk- so many of these characters just randomly spout about death or violence to other people throughout all this. We just got, you know, Tanya talking about, you know, has anyone fallen to their death from here before? This is what this show runs on. Okay, so here's what the line that Daphne is walking, right? I live in a, a neighbor, like a real neighborhood, right? Like I got houses nice. all around me, right? And I got a front porch. If I'm on my front porch, Daphne's my neighbor. She's walking down the street. She waves. I'd wave her up. I'd say, come on up. Yeah, let's yeah. have a conversation. Like, if you're doing it, yeah. give it for you. But... By the same token, if I wake up one morning and the police come over and they go, we found three dead bodies in the garden of the house next to you. Have you already arrested Daphne? I'd go, well, it's probably Daphne, right? Like, so it's the, it's an interesting line where I still like her, but I'm like, hmm, she could be a problem. This was a conversation I had with a friend the other day about, you know, like doing lottery pools at work. It's like, do you, do you presume that there'd be one employee at your office or whatever else that would be more likely to murder everybody else there? And both of us agreed that we had a certain presumption of, yeah, probably be that guy. Same deal with Daphne. It's like, I'm not saying I think she's a murderer. It's just if you told me it was possibility, I'd go, eh, that tracks. Did did you both pick you? Did you pick you and did the other guy pick you too? Uh, as the potential murderer, I would never tell you that. <laughs> uh, I, I They are walking a fine line with Daphne. I like her, but I am watching her close. Uh, so uh, then... So Cameron says, happy wife, happy life. Trump. Spencer, you're, Spencer, you're not married. If you were married, is this a thing that would ever come out of your mouth? Particularly not with her there. That just seems like, it is such a, it, 
it, I'm sure it may have been originally intended well, but it comes across as such a mocking line now. It just, it feels to me this old school type of sexism where a wife is something to be sort of managed mm-hmm. and you just throw money at it. And then that like, ha- like it's always been told, like I've always heard it through the context of these like old school guys who were always like, you know, you know, I'm going to hit the bars and the strip clubs with my friends tonight. But you know, when I come home, I'm going to have like a new coach purse for my wife. Happy wife. Happy wife. It's always, yeah, it's always through that type of context. So I don't know if the saying itself is that particularly bad on its merits, but it's always used in that context. And I think that that's how Harper heard it too. Right. Cause Harper just like, is, Harper records. They, yeah. They might as well have just like set off like a stink bomb. I mean, the way she's just like, Oh, like she just reacts to that. And, admittedly. Uh, the the actress does a wonderful job of just having that expression on her face in almost every interaction with these people. Harper then says she's going to take her ba- breakfast back to her room, which is hilarious. And Cameron and Daphne are like, ah, we're done. We'll walk with you. It's like, good Lord, can she get away from Re- these people for two seconds? Yeah. 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 Re- yeah. That's the thing that like where Cameron keeps saying, I feel like I'm saying the wrong thing where he's screwing up is by like, just not saying anything. Like, just let her be like exist Wait. apart from you for a little while. Yeah, that was an interesting faux pas i'll say on their part of where someone says i'm gonna go back to the room to finish my breakfast could they be more clearly telegraphing of i want to be alone and away from you right now yeah it's pretty clear i i thought i mean a matter of fact it would be to the point that if i was at dinner at breakfast with somebody that i was vacationing with and they said that i would start to reassess my entire strategy for the vacation because yes. i'd be like i think i'm really bothering this person and i got to figure out a way to get away from them so that they can get what they need it wasn't um, like she offered an excuse of like, I'm going to do work for a minute or whatever else. It was literally like, I'm going to go finish breakfast, not with you. Yeah, uh, pretty overt. Uh, cut to Ethan. He sets up shop uh, in his bedroom. Uh, definitely setting up shop. Oh, yeah. Um, lot of shop. Lot yeah. of mine in the internet for certain for certain kinds of shop work. Yeah, just, just you know, got... Um, he's got a few he's got hand- He's got a few handwork projects he's got to really go with. He's guy likes to do work with his hands. <laughs> I didn't know how far you were going to go with that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. Uh, incognito browser time. Um, so cut to Greg and Tanya. Tanya tells him uh, her fantasy day in Italy. So she lets it. She drops it. She says she wants to look just like Monica Vitti. And then a man in a very slim fitting suit. He comes over and he lights her cigarette. And it tastes very good. I like that. Now she's like. Changing cigarettes right, in this universe. Yeah. Like, t- then the cigarette weirdly tastes good. The cigarette tastes like Oreo cookie cake. And, um, <laughs> he takes her, he takes it's her. Who dreams, sir? Takes me for a drive on a Vespa. And Greg just goes, you want me to run a Vespa? It's like, <laughs> God knows, man. He's pretty, uh, he's pretty drab in this conversation. Mm-hmm. She then says at night, they go in a romantic place on the beach and eat big plates of pasta with giant clams and just be happy and beautiful and lovely and everything's cool. And I got to tell you, I don't love the idea of riding a Vespa around the hills of fucking Sicily. Um, but everything else in that sounded pretty good. Sounded fun. It, the only adjustment I would make to that plan is I'm going to rent two Vespas and we're going to go in tandem around. We're not sharing a Vespa going up and down the hills of Sicily right now. Just drawing a line there. That's inviting problems. Smart. Uh, uh, Greg says... Rest sounds like a very pleasant way to spend a day. Absolutely. But, you know, it, that's this is the... So this is the problem. This is Uncle Lee out there to the kids. When you open up the, the nagging your partner about their weight thing... Mm-hmm. That's a that's problematic in a million different ways. But sure. on that list, toward the bottom, is that 
You got to eat three times a day. So it's three times a day going to be awkward between you when the person talks about what they're going to order or what they're going to get or if they want a second sandwich. Or, you know, you're just setting up for so many awkward situations between the two of you if you become the food calorie police, right? Mm-hmm. And that, and I feel like that there that there was that overtone in that conversation because when she says big plate of pasta with clams, he has a reaction to it. And it's like, is this going to be all the time with her? That That seems exhausting. Yeah, I mean, that, that still was like his low moment of the last episode with respect to those damn macarons. And we have, we get a hope here for a second that he's going to make an active effort to redeem himself. And it looks like it is for a lot of the episode, even if he's a little bit begrudging, even if he's still like trying to work through whatever he's going through, we have a certain degree of hope that he does give her her day until the end. Now, I had multiple people reach out and say that they thought the reason he really got on her about the macaroons last episode is that she cut the sex short. And my answer to both of the people who commented that to me was, well, why does he give her shit for the panna cotta later? Right? Like, yeah. there's a there's it, another it scene where he drives at home. Exactly. I don't think it's just the sex thing, right? So, cut to Bert telling Portia, you can't come to Sicily and sit in your room. It's against the law. Oh. <laughs> so, okay. You're playing on her worst impulses here, sir. Bert then invites her to walk to the theater with them today. And she demurs. She says, ah, yeah, I can't do that. She, he is well, when there's a pretty young lady around, we're all better behaved, cheerier. So, you know, he doesn't look like, and it, it, he, he really does it like to his credit, he doesn't f- flirt with Portia in quite the same way he seems to, or Portia with other people that we've seen. Like he is really overtly, like almost abusive to some people. Mm-hmm. To her, it's a little bit more. It's less, right? It does, isn't it? Less? No, it was decidedly better. This was perfectly pleasant. This was the this, this was the kind of mild flirting that's actually kind of socially acceptable because it doesn't feel like that kind of aggressive. Of I'm going to ask for your number in the next eight seconds, and you're obliged to give it to me. Or I might t- like start touching you inappropriately. Like yeah. I'm, I'm that aggressive. It, like it doesn't feel like that. And Portia doesn't seem to be taking it bad. Um, this because she's kind. like, she's gamed to, to join. She actually seemed to lo- want to join. This, this is the kind that can kind of mask itself well with charming. And that's clearly how she just takes it. Or, oh, he's just being nice and inviting me out and whatever else. And it seems like it, it eases the situation along. Absolutely. Uh, and so when he says that, Albie can't take it anymore. Because even the, just the little bit of pretty lady thing, he, that, that, that frustrates him, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, okay, you should come. You should come. Tell him Porsche, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, Albie has to uh, prompt Dominic, who looks completely checked out, in sunglasses, yeah. not even looking at them, and he just goes, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, sure, you should come." And it's like, you know what? You know what? You know what? Dominic is here. We go. I got Dominic. Okay. Dominic is how I would imagine Kendall Roy is going to be with his adult children. Ooh, oh, that's a great read. That is such a wonderful, tragic, unfortunate read. Yeah, I can see that right now. I can see it perfectly, just with even more social awkwardness attached to it. Yeah, that's sort of like checked out. And like what he should have picked up on is that his son has found a girl there that he's interested at least in talking to. And he should be trying to facilitate that in the best way possible for his son. He should, at a minimum, be engaged in the conversation, right? Yeah. So – I, I don't have a ton of like sympathy for Dominic as we go. I, I, th- I guess that's becoming apparent. Like, I think he's kind of a bad hag, and I think he's pretty self-absorbed. That is perfectly fair from what we've gotten so far. 
Cameron and Daphne tell Harper they're going to get Cameron some clothes and Harper comes into the hotel room and Ethan does a move I'm fairly certain most men have done at some point in their life. It's the shut the, it's the, shut the computer, roll to the other side of the bed and quickly put on pants move, patented move, trademark move ever since the internet's been invented. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go for the pants though. He didn't have the pants right there next to the bed just for protection and opportunity. The man was not prepared. Well, I mean, if you looked like that, it would be an underwear situation, right? I mean... Well, I put on pants when you're that when you're that ripped. I mean, he, he probably walks around underwear a lot. <laughs> okay, sure. There's a certain degree of advertisement that's going into this. The other hand, what, the other on the other side, on the other hand, uh, below the belt, he kind of wants to hide other features right now to avoid a conversation that immediately starts. Yeah, but that's why Harper to me, like Harper, would be a real difficult person in a lot of situations to be romantically involved with. I still think if I was sober, I probably would have been interested in her because of this her reaction she just goes what's up with the boner and like that type of like cut weird read that type of like cut the bullshit like go right at it like there's something appealing about that to me in a person i i kind of like that when people are like that direct It, it is but it's not a great read i think on it's one of those things where harper could be perfectly in a happy relationship that would work well for her but this is one of several scenes that indicate that she and Ethan really aren't on the same page in a lot of this shit. No. No, they're and, not. But I still, I, I, I'm talking about, I would appreciate it. Yes, it's I clear, know. clear, it's clear Ethan does it. And, and yeah. I think you're making a good point there that like she, she could have been, she could have facilitated a less awkward interaction if she wanted to, but she chose awkward. The, the, the correct way to do Ethan was, and I think this is a theory I'm going to play into later, would more to be play it like Daphne would. Walk in, see it. And immediately start playing off it as, as as flirty funny and go from there. And I think that would have fit the situation better and worked it better for what Ethan's actually, you know, more responsive to. Not Harper's default way to go. Could have could have just off with the shirt. She could have just off with yeah, the shirt. Like, let's walk let's over, roll. start kissing his neck, make it. Let's happen. roll. Right. She's by the way under zero obligation to do that. I just want to no. pick that up. And That's she's not, also like, not a morning person. I I that. find I don't know. I find. Ethan didn't. I would find the what's up with the boner thing just pretty fucking hilarious and kind of charming. It would make me laugh. Uh, But it clearly makes him uncomfortable. I'm actually the exact same boat. If, you know, my partner came in and just said, what's up with the boner? I'd start laughing. Yeah, me too. I I find it very endearing. It's like, what do you fucking think? Matter of fact, I laughed when Harper said it. I thought that's why. But, you know, he does it, right? And he just starts fumbling and fumbling. But finally he comes. He says, you know what? I was watching porn. And I was uh, I was masturbating, and uh, she goes, "Why?" I was. Uh, he, she goes, "I was just gone five minutes. I only got a croissant." Well, can I be defense attorney for Har- Har- for Ethan for a second, Spencer? I'm going to jump across the aisle. Please, yes. How the fuck was he supposed to know how long you were going to be gone for breakfast? He clearly didn't know you were only going to be five minutes because he just set up shop. He, you didn't tell him that you were only gone five minutes. You can't hold that over it. Very well done, counselor. I'm not going to have to disbar you for conflict of interest with respect to representing both sides. But you know, we'll address that later. Wait a second. You can't. You can't represent both sides. Not at the same time in the same fight. No, can't do that. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't have been a good lawyer. Um, <laughs> she says, lawyer. "She's like, why?" And 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 she continues to say, "Like, why are you doing this?" And finally, he goes, "I don't know endorphins," which is like, it's like he's talking to a bot. Like she's talking, or she's talking to a bot. Like I don't know endorphins is the most like mechanical answer. It's like he, he can't even participate in a playful flirting here. He is just that fumbled. Wait, is it they can't participate with playful flirting or that she isn't playful flirting? It's only, some for 
she's being kind of directly accusatory here or confrontational about, you know, why were, why weren't you doing this with me? Why didn't you wait? Why are you doing this by yourself? She's m- making him defensive because she's being aggressive with respect to her. You're right. However, she then goes, well, why don't we just have sex? That's the part where it falls apart for Ethan. Because that's when she's like, I, I got, I'm, I'm going, I'm here with you. I'm willing to do like, yes, I'm giving you shit for masturbating. Right. But I'm willing to like participate in this with you to give you an alternative. So, you know, cause I feel like if she would have given him shit for masturbating and then it been very closed down sexually, I feel like that's kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth, but at least she's consistent. Right. Well, it does kind of kill the mood though. I mean, she, he's clearly on the defensive. He's clearly uncomfortable. And then she says, well, you know, if you want to, we can. It, it, it's not, you know, it's not building up the romance going into the scene. I don't know. I, I mean, he was just jerking off to Pornhub. I don't think he needs a lot of romance. But that's just me. That's just me. <laughs> this is one of several scenes we get of where they are a little bit sexually dysfunctional. They're not on the same page. They're not on the same vibe. They're not clicking. And... He is starting to set up his own degree of managing himself outside and independent of her. And I think she's aware of it and resents it. Hmm. Interesting. Harper decides uh, she still wants to talk to him, though, regardless of that potential tiff. Uh, She goes to the bathroom uh, while Ethan takes the world's shortest shower. And um, was there any soap? Did he do anything other than he just went for a long run? Like he's going to be gross when he gets out of that shower. I, I know some people who just wash off the sweat. That was not enough even to do that. No. Um, but she says, you know, she says basically, Cameron and Daphne told me they don't fight. Her quote, if you never fight, your relationship isn't real. Mm, I don't know that she's That's qualified to say such a blanketed statement, but I will say this, Spencer. And I know I'm coming off as a Harper apologist, so please feel free to crush me in all of the comments. I'm, I'm going to get a ton of them. Fine. Do it. Just, <laughs> you, you I don't, don't care. You don't need to encourage me to have fun. Okay, go on, though. Yeah, everybody just go ahead. Haul off on me and tell me that you don't like listening to the podcast anymore because all I do is apologize for Harper. Go ahead and tell me that. But I just think she's trying to shoot the shit. Like, I don't think it's that serious. Like, I think she's literally just like, she wants to come in and just bandy back and forth with her husband. And like, by the way, like, I have a really hard time believing the vast, vast majority of couples don't do this. Like... You, you don't have to be mean spirited about it, but most couples get together because it's you, basically when you get married to somebody, it's you and them against the world. Yes. Right. That's the feeling. And when you get with them, it's like you do kind of talk about other people and you compare yourself and you talk, you say things probably to your partner. You certainly want, wouldn't want everybody to hear because you're just kind of shooting the shit. And I just didn't take this as her being all that serious in this conversation, but Harper or Ethan, immediately start psychoanalyzing her and it's like yeah good another example of exactly what you said spencer where they're just on different pages about what they're going for in this conversation no i'm actually completely on the same page with you when it comes to this read i think harper needs to do a better job in terms of interacting with other people and how that goes and anything else but in terms of just you know being a certain degree chatty with your with your spouse about other people we get to see that cam she even says at one point i bet cameron and daphne are doing the exact same thing in their own room and, and they, they are, are. they and, are and they're having fun with it and it's only halfway serious. Take a monster. But they're just being pleasant. They're being pleasant. This scene in this moment, this is Ethan making this weird. Now, yeah. He's got a, a background perspective on Harper that we lack. This may actually be a bit of a toxic thing where she carries through this kind of wanting to chat or wanting to, you know, kind of badmouth people a little bit behind closed doors into the real world and how she actually thinks with them and interacts with them. And that's not good. And that, that can be a bigger problem later. 
But at least for this moment at this time, he's the one that's now turning the awkwardness back on her. And maybe he's doing it to a certain degree out of a certain measure of resentment, whatever else going into this. She tells him she thinks they're handsy, all over each other thing is fake, it's bogus. Ethan, after taking the world's shortest shower, which I mentioned before, says, mm. you always do this with certain people. He says, uh, you have to find them deficient in some way in comparison to you so that you can feel better about yourself. She mentions, she doesn't, he's like, I don't do this. And he goes, well, um, you don't do this with Carmen. And like, what we co- figure out in this conversation is that Carmen is their elderly cleaning lady. It, it and it's like, example. I don't, I don't think that's the best comparison, Ethan. Like, you have not proved your point to this, to this juror. Yeah. Um, you, you want to talk about like her, you know, certain coworkers that she interacts with or something along those lines? Fine, whatever else. But that one example of the nice old cleaning lady, you'd think it was weirder if she did bad mouth it. So then Harper drops this line. Everybody compares themselves to other people, Ethan. Spencer, is that true? Yes. Whether, how they go about it, how, how you know, much they, inter- they inform the world about it varies remarkably. But everyone exists in a relative state compared to others. So that is true. That is their natural state. I will say this. I'm going to leave out there to the kids. Is that as you get older and you want to try like to find some like serenity and peace in your life, one of the ways to do that is to try to break this cycle of yeah. constantly comparing yourself to other people. The don't, more it's never going to be perfect. You're never. I don't think. No. Any, I, don't I think it's build a, your identity around this. Be aware. I think of it's because it, it's human, but don't dwell on it. I think it's way too high of a bar to say I'm never going to compare myself to another person. Of course, you're going to do some of that. Of but like the more that you can get away from it, especially like in really like acute ways, like and and having your self-worth or whatever like dependent upon the outcome of that relative comparison uh the more the more happiness you're going to find so that's not going to out to the there to the kids i think as people get older and they start to learn how to just be happy in their own skin they get away from a lot of this but it is a very natural thing for people to do a process of maturity is learning what things to give less of a shit about and comparing yourself to other people is very very much in that category i agree she goes on to tell him that uh he's penalizing her for something everybody does, he continues to say that she believes he believes she feels threatened by them. And she finally just says, it's like, here's my worry. It's, are we going to, like, always hang out with these type of people now? Like, people who only talk about what five-star hotel they stayed at? Put a pin in that one for later. Uh-huh. Ethan says, oh, so now you're a snob. And I'm like, whoa, man, that's he, a – what a word to throw at her. He's going after her pretty hard here. I mean, maybe this grades to a certain degree. Maybe he does see this all the time. But at least in this scene – He's not giving her a polite exit. He really is going after her on multiple levels. Yeah, calling her a snob there was really tough. And she goes, I'm not a snob. They're a snob. And by the way, they are kind of snobbish. And she says, um, I was just trying to say we were in a great relationship. And by the way, I'm just going to point out this for all the listeners. We're not convinced. We're not convinced by this conversation that you're in a great relationship. Neither one of you have convinced me. The, um, the, <laughs> the only time I had a good read on the idea that they had a good relationship was the prior night when they were in bed together, just sitting happily, happily next to each other, reading. Like you and I commented, like that for that couple, that yeah. could be an indication of good sign of relationship. Everything since and around then hasn't given me good vibes. Completely agree. Um, she says, "Well, I won't do that again." Like you know, say that we're in a good that, relationship, and that's when when she that says was, that, Ethan then figures out I've pissed her off, and then he says, "Look, we are, we are. Look, I'm with you. We really are. We and, and it's like, no, hey, it doesn't look like you really are." Uh, but it's also kind of late, like in this conversation, to start like trying to placate her. Uh, I'm going to score this one. You always want me to score conversations oh, actually, yes. for boxing. I'm going to score this one a 
a, it's a very rare round in boxing. It's an eight, seven Spencer. It means both people have been knocked down. Um, but one, one, uh, got knocked down a little bit harder than the other. And I'm going to give it score at eight, seven for Harper. I think Harper comes away looking a little better in this conversation to me. I will actually agree. And one of the things that helps drive it for me is the very end of where after he's gone after her pretty hard and she's expressed somewhat passive aggressively, but expressed that she's really not happy with not feeling really great right now. Remind me, he doesn't apologize, right? He doesn't actually say, you know, I'm sorry. I went after you no. or whatever else. He just says, I agree. We have a great relationship. Which is a weird dodge out of the conversation, given what you guys just, you know, the somewhat little more than tiff you guys just went through right there. No, and I think that's a that's a problem for Ethan, right? Because I do think when he threw this word snob out there, it would have been appropriate to back up and go, you know what? I'm sorry. I think I've been a little harsh with you here. You know, you kind of caught me in a weird moment. Uh, and, I yeah. you know, I, I've been kind of struggling to catch up. That would have been a totally fair thing to say that would have got him probably back on the same page. I also think for a certain degree he could admit it because I think it's true. You know what? I'm kind of on edge around them too. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm adjusting to what they are and what our new relationship is and our new wealth and everything else. And I'm still trying to figure out how it works. So if I'm a little bit prickly right now, I'm sorry. And that would have been, that would have meant a lot to her right then, right there. So you very famously prickly person. I mean, I think for Mangum What Talks, the fuck do you mean by that? I think you're uh, you're on the fucking Mount Rushmore, right? I think we all know that. You're you're wonderful at this. Like you you will very re- re- routinely go. Ah, sorry, I, I'm kind of like in a shit mood. Like it's so easy to do. I've seen you do it many times. Like I'm trying to give you a compliment here. Like I, it really will like decompress the conversation. Like but, it's a, it's a, and it doesn't take a big effort. It's just got to be well timed, and he just doesn't hit the timing. It, it has to be well timed. It also requires a certain element of humility, and I think he, ah, it's a fair point. I think and I. It's we're still getting to read. Ethan's one of the most difficult characters to get a really read on right now because he's a little bit inside himself. But I think we're getting a certain degree of read that this guy's actually got some pride issues at play. And I don't think you know. I, I think he. I don't think he's the. I'm not as inclined to think he's the kind of guy that would apologize in that moment. So Ethan was on my potentially best person to vacation with list last week. It was, yeah. Spoiler alert, he is not on it this week. He has fallen down my power rankings hard. Cut to Cameron trying on clothes, and he is pretty fun sometimes, it seems. I got to give him credit. He seems charming in this moment. And if I was his buddy hanging out with him, I would enjoy this whole repertoire. I would enjoy this whole thing. This is the kind of charming of where it's the kind of charming that's infectious. It's like if yeah. you're just there also trying on clothes and you see a couple be that utterly just having fun together, your day is improved by that. It's delightful. You know what Cameron is? And I, I think I can identify it because I've gone through periods of this in my life. He's the karaoke guy. Cameron when Cameron will start karaoke yes, and yes. he will get everybody comfortable because he, he's willing to just sort of be a little silly. Yeah, and Performative. And, yeah. Great word. Performative. Exactly. Um, while he's trying the clothes on me and Lucia come by in the window and they window shop and in their conversation it becomes clear that Lucia has been kicked out of the store before. Right. It's pretty clear. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it once just to have it being a standing point throughout this episode. Lucia looks good throughout the entire episode. Whoa. Yeah. And so if, if you're starting there, it only, I'm starting it here. Gets better. It, it gets better. It only gets better. By the time they get to the bar here near the end of the episode, dear Christ. Spencer, do you have a crush on Lucia? Is Lucia your your new fictional crush here? Is that what we're hearing? Mm, no, for other reasons. Yeah. But yeah. she's a good looking yeah. girl. 
Yeah, yeah, she is. That's what that's what it is. It's like uh, what I got accused of with Renera in the last podcast of Pilot Dragon. Well, that was like, true. Oh, you're that, you're, you're just in love with Renera. You, you know what? That's what that's the new narrative of this podcast. Spencer hearts Lucia forever for life. When I've got the full fan fiction page that you created for that character, then we can talk. And in the conversation, so Lucia then also goes, you know what? I don't want to just shop there. I want to be wealthy enough to own the entire store. And when I do, I'm going to fire. So they do a little bit of like daydreaming. Yeah, and I'm going to fire her. And, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of, it's fun. And, it, you know, I think that the the most healthy relationship I see in the entire fucking show is the friendship between me and Lucia. They seem to really just be good friends and care about each other. I, That's I what I could tell. I would largely agree. I had some concerns last episode that Lucia was going to be a little bit too forceful with respect to getting me into the prostitution thing. But the fact that Mia is very happily participating in the threesome at the end of this episode, like, maybe my concerns were unfounded. I think Mia's okay with this so long as it isn't part of a career. Yeah, and like, like when, yeah, there's multiple moments where it's just clear that they're, they really are buddies. They, um, yeah, they vibe. Yeah, it, they vibe. There you go, Spencer. They vibe. Mia Dude. asked to see how Dominique was, and Lucia says, well, he was tense, but he does like me, and I'll be his girlfriend for the whole week. I'd like to raise my hand. Uh, you, you called me. I, I did call that that he would be. They would be like a, almost. I don't. So girlfriend experience means something very particular. I've learned um, uh, through, through like looking into this a little bit. Particular category, yes. Yeah, that's a, like that's like a really defined thing. But like that is in, in a more informal way. That's kind of what she's providing him, and not not in that sort of like tight definition of what that means. But she is kind of like being his quote girlfriend for the week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Lucia tells Mia that she uh, talked to Dominic about the hotel was giving them shit and he was going to take care of it. And this is the scene I wanted. I talked about this last week. I really wanted to see this scene. We, I was looking forward to this scene in spades and it delivered. Oh God, did it deliver? Because Valentina is just the worst customer service person ever. Oh, Mia lets slip that she threw the drink at the piano player's face, which Lucia responds by saying, what about my reputation? <laughs> Mia, Mia, very funny. Mia, very funny. Goes, what about your reputation? It was so funny. That was a great thing. Lucia then asks, she's going to introduce Mia to Dominic. Or then says she's going to yeah. introduce Mia to Dominic. Uh, cut to Bert, Portia, Alba. Al- Bert, Portia, Albie, and Dominic walking. Albie is asking Bert if he's okay to walk. And uh, Bert hits her with this. Um, if I'm a cripple, nobody told me. <laughs> I like that line. Yeah, but it's good writing, right? Because it's another like non-PC word. It's almost like yeah. um, I would bet uh, that Bert would be the type of guy to sit down and order an oriental salad. I hadn't thought about it in that way, but yes, I can see him doing that. And I can almost guarantee he will do some version of that before this is done. It's it's that it's the little things where you're like, ooh, it's, it's just he's it's just a little off. Not, how he talks not about malicious, stuff. not malicious in any sense of the word. He's it just didn't seem that a way. different generation. Dominic sees uh, Lucia and me, and he's like, "All right, go ahead, walk away. You guys go ahead. Anyway, I'm gonna hang back here. I'm gonna hang back here. You yeah. guys go ahead. You guys go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and then he uh, walks up to Lucia. I call and girl friend over. Gonna go talk to this sex worker. Um, and then, uh, he gets, uh, together with Lucy and, uh, Mia and, um, goes to Valentina to get them access. And what's so funny is that he, he walks into the hotel and he's clearly just going to walk up to the first person he sees to talk about this access issue for them too. And he gets Valentina. And I was so happy about that. It It was like the God, it's like, there is a God Spencer, right? I mean, like, that's how this was supposed to align. If it had been Rocco, this would have been a 30 second conversation. We would have had nowhere near as much fun. So Dominique and Valentina have this great Abbott and Costello routine as he tries to get them access to the hotel. Valentina tries to stiff arm him, stiff arm him right away by saying, well, access is only for guests. And so Dominique's like, well, 
Okay, add, then they can add her to the room. They can just be in my room. Um, so some of the great lines in this back and forth I wrote down, there's a ton of them, yeah, yeah. Um, is, they are my good friends. And she goes, they are your good friends? <laughs> <laughs> um, so then she's explaining that she would need them to be guests at the the hotel to give them right, you know, walking rights around the hotel. And he says, okay, let's do that. And she goes, add both of their names to your room. She seemed very put off by that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're uh, going to, and then she says, if they're going to be three in a room, it would be an extra charge. And he goes, really? And she just goes, sorry about that. It is super, super like, I, I just checkmated you, right? So then finally he gets frustrated and he just goes, they're going to be coming and going. Oh, they, they are come locals. and they go? They're coming. <laughs> <laughs> and when she says that, he, he catches on that she's making fun of him, right? Because yeah. he looks and he goes, uh, like, hey, like, don't do that. Uh, all right. And, well, I, I'm the customer here. Here's what we're going to do. He, he, he's increasingly getting the, why is this a conversation we're having? Yeah. So he finally, like, raises his voice a little bit. And then when he does, Lucia backs off and um, she says, okay, fine. And he goes over and he talks to uh, Lucia and Mia and he says, please don't make me regret this. Okay. You charge some food. You charge a little vino. Don't go crazy. She says, we don't go crazy. Now, Spencer, you're a man who knows about the sex worker trade. Would you have put her name on your room here? He does not know this woman. He has interacted with her for a single night and he just gave her his credit card. No, no, dear God, no. I gotta say, Some I think it was a limit. I gotta say, I think it was a bad move. And then, to, and then, and his his guardrail is to say, "Hey, don't go crazy." It's like there's that, zero that's accountability right there. There's zero accountability for this person because they could literally walk out of this hotel room and you would never see them again because you don't know where they live, you don't know their number, you don't know anything about them. And by the way, if you tried to do anything about it, you would probably get busted for illegal prostitution because my understanding is prostitution is legal in Italy, but it has to be in very specific commercial establishments it can't just be like getting some woman off of instagram which it seemed dominique did right so uh yeah big big problem for him i think this was a poor move uh and i also like immediately i'm sitting here with my wife and i'm like oh she's just going to bop the whole hotel like and it's like this is one of those moments of hey did you did you ever find out what your credit card limit was like do you know you're gonna find out here soon yeah uh dominique says like i, I can't be seen with you but i oh, i'll see you tonight okay i'll see you tonight she's okay i'll see you tonight so then they turn around and they ask for keys to their rooms. And Valentina immediately, in the most passive-aggressive motherly way, goes, just try to calm down, okay? This is a five-star resort, okay? Okay? <laughs> and Lucia then tries to, like, m- make a com- connection with her. She goes, look, you're a businesswoman, right? She goes, yeah. And he's, look, this is why hotels are created, right? For To make money off of girls like us. Now, or me. She doesn't, she doesn't put yeah. me in that category. I don't think she, like, I don't think she's, like, a hundred percent wrong. I think she's like sixty percent wrong. But there, there's like forty percent of probably hotel rooms that are like being eaten up with this activity. So she's not like wholly wrong in this assessment. Yeah, you also like look look like the old west. The you know the the, the center saloon that offer rooms. Pretty much all of them will also offer prostitutes. That was just the nature of the business. Often they run by prostitutes. But I don't think many people get a room at a five star resort for a night. To have sex with a sex worker. Like, I don't think that's the case. No, no, it's more like Dominique of where they've got a room at a five-star resort. And while they're there, they arrange for a very high-cost high escort. So did you see when Valent- when Valentina handed, she handed the she's making the keys, right? She made the key for Mia. Did you see how she handed the key to Lucia? No, I didn't actually. Threw it at her. <laughs> Literally threw it at her. 
like you know, how you, would, you know how you would take like a playing card and try to flick it into a hat you know like how that you do that like yes. you kind of spin it that's how she did with it she just flicked it at her and <laughs> and Lucia caught it and just gives her this look another thing I didn't mention during the recap is that while Dominique's having this conversation with Valentina Lucia and Mia are elbowing each other laughing at Valentina the whole time which is having a blast <laughs> oh god it's funny cut to the beach and guess what Cameron and Daphne are talking, talking about. Five-star resorts they've been to previously in Italy and around the world. <laughs> Boy, it would have been really tough for me if I was Harper not to start giggling in this conversation. Because she literally, an hour ago, called what they would be talking about. It's pretty funny. I, um, I, I would have been just staring at Ethan with just ear, you know, smile up to my ears right now. Just being so smug about how smart I am. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this question. If you are Please. talking to um, some people who the only thing you're connecting with is like vacation stories. Yeah. What is your go-to? Like I've been to this place. You've got to go to this place. Like a vacation well, story. First thing, person. my first, my default response wouldn't even be to go to my examples. I would just keep asking about, asking them about them, theirs because they clearly want to tell me about all. They clearly want to go down a list. So that can fill up hours of conversation right there. For me, in terms of great trips, whatever else, I don't have five star resorts. That's not how I travel. I don't like. Well, not five star resorts, but like places yeah. where you go. You do, you know, like people do that thing of like, oh, you gotta go to X. Okay, uh, you gotta go Big Island, Hawaii. If you haven't ever been, you're in the U.S. You don't need a passport, but it's such a beautiful place. It's it, you're missing all the, of the heavy population of Honolulu, whatever else. You get all this wonderful mix of climates. You see active volcanoes. There's wonderful scuba diving. There's absolutely great food and people wherever you can go. Go to the Big Island, Hawaii. It's great. Gotcha. Um, I'd probably say Amsterdam. Uh, I would one. not. I would not say that to Dominic. I would not tell Dominic to go to Amsterdam. Yeah, kid, the candy uh, store there. <laughs> but but I would. I would tell most people uh, Amsterdam uh, very underrated. The best art museums in the world and some of the best food you'll ever have. Uh, also, Costa Rica. In terms, if you want to stay in this hemisphere, wonderful people, surprisingly cheap, absolutely great trip to find, be found there too. I gotta put Costa. You know what? Strong, I, it never strong. It never occurred. You know what? It never occurred hey. to me to Costa Rica, but I gotta put it on my list. Hey, hey, you, you, <laughs> hey let, let's do this. Bridget and I will be the Ethan, the Harper. You guys can be the Cameron, the Dominic. Let's go on a couple trip to Costa Rica. It'll be great. Uh, I can I can be eighty percent of what Dominic is in this show. I, I don't want to be Ethan. Can I not be Ethan? I just volunteered for this. And I don't want to. You're you're kind of Ethan. Shut uh, up. Right now they're talking about Venice, and Daphne has a recommendation. It will shock you. And Cameron does. He is pretty funny when he talks about this. He's like, these European risk-rats, they have no money. They have these palazzos, but they have no cash. And it is kind of like, that is the phenomenon that the, exists with the, the old money people. Trope, yeah. It is pretty funny, right? Um, so Daphne asked them uh, where they went on their honeymoon. And uh, Daphne's confused about Puerto Rico status as part of America, but not part of a, <sighs> but a step, but not a, but it is, 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 a, is it a state? Is it? Territory, territory. Huh. What's the... Uh, and Cameron just goes, yes, 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 of course, yes, yes, yes. How how often have you had this conversation in real life? Because I've had it a couple. Oh, many times. Yeah, I've yeah. had, I've had, and it, you know, it's people. Um, it's been a couple older people in my life who I like love dearly, who have been like, "What is the deal with Puerto Rico? Like, what?" It? And, and I'm like, I'm so fierce about it that I'm like, I'll tell you what they are. They're the 51st state in waiting, and they should be a state. Like, I do that whole thing. It's not really helpful. DC is going to get it first, man. Man, I hope not. I'm really rooting for Puerto Rico. But anyway, uh, Cameron says they uh, they need to go. They, we need to go. It's not been on our radar. Yeah, Just like Costa Rica's not been on mine. But, you know, we got to go. We got to go. Uh, Harper is really trying here. 
I am going to give Harper an eight out of 10 for trying. Mm -hmm. And that's not graded on a Harper curve. That's just a regular score. She says, if you go, you can stay with my family. Now, Spencer, percent chance that Daphne Cameron ever go to A, Puerto Rico, and B, stay with her family? Zero. Not, not, zero. Even, not even zero. Like, you know, would be more likely to contribute aid money to her family than actually stay with them kind of zero. Negative five, maybe. Yeah, yeah but not, I, not fucking happening. I will agree, though. That, that line could be read sarcastic. Didn't read the actress's delivery as sarcastic. I think she honestly just kind of wanted to be like, that's the kind of nice thing you say right there. So cut to Lucia and Mia. They're just buying all kinds of shit at the hotel. And I got something to admit to you, Spencer. I've never admitted to you before. Mm. Uh, what is an undergrad? I, uh, my sophomore year of undergrad, you didn't know me very well at this point. No, um, got, more, got more to know your junior year. I really grew up in a small town and I was not exposed. Like I didn't, my, my go-to example is I didn't know what cream cheese was because like that was too fancy for my family. Like I, <laughs> I didn't know shit, right? You saw so, a box and a bagel, you're running out of the room. Too confusing. I, I just didn't know stuff. My dad gives me a credit card and says only for emergencies. So, uh, what I do is book a trip to Florida with my buddy. And we fly to Florida and I spend four days in, or no, like a week, I think, in Florida. And I just, I buy, I'm, I'm eating king crab, crab legs at dinner. We're just buying booze out. I don't even know. My dad never told me. He just got, you know, obviously took the card away. He was mad at me for like four years, I think. Like he, <laughs> I could picture your dad doing that. Uh, he was mad for a very long time. Um, but I eventually sort of worked it off and like, you know, paid my penance and stuff. But that, that is, uh, when I saw these two at the hotel, like store, I was like, this, this, this was right. sophomore me, new to the world, never had a credit card in my hand before, didn't even really know how to use them. And like, it was like, you know what I'll do? I'll just get a, I'll just get a, a plane ticket to Florida. Quit, quit, <laughs> That's what I'll do. <laughs> quiz question. Did I ever do that with my credit card that I had in college? So I'm going to say, not only did you not do that, you probably balanced the ledger for your parents in advance where you probably had like, you probably categorized the transactions so that they would be aware of what they were and then sort of handed it all to them. And like a, almost like an expense report that you, that you submitted to your parents at the end of the month. <laughs> I, I don't know what degree you're being sarcastic or not, but you're so fucking on point. It's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So then cut to Tanya and Greg. Tanya's all dressed up. Um, and then you hear Valentina in the back says, we said, no, why did you rent her a Vespa? <laughs> Did you get her to sign the liability waiver? Which, by the way, that is like a little bit concerning, right? If they just went and got uh, the Vespa and then just gave it to her, like in like that, not good. Yeah, att attorney me heard that line. I'm like, no, they did not do that in that order. No, they did not do that in that order. They tell me they did not arrange for the Vespa before they thought they needed a liability waiver. Please. Tanya is really excited and wants Greg to be in the pictures because he's got a felt suit on right he's a yeah. slim fitting suit is what she said earlier they ask valentina helps with the picture she says she'll do it tanya says hey who do i look like valentina says peppa pig oh, oh, oh. god yeah, credit, credit to tanya that she just lets that one roll off her because that one was pretty cutting it was tough like that's why i'm saying she's so bad at her job this is we know spencer she's um what is she? She's like a uh, petal or something. Oh, she's like high. No, she's she's a blossom now. Sir. She's blossom. She's moved up from petal. She's like high up in this white lotus fucking. And you, you just know, called her Peppa Pig to her face. Unbelievable. She's awful. So she just goes, nope, I'm Monica Vitti. And then she goes on and says, Monica Vitti's dead. 
But yes. Yes. Valentina's a hoot. So, from Valentina's perspective, the fact that she even said but yes is a serious concession. She should be talked to about her customer service. Um, they do the pictures. Then Greg wants uh, starts to get the Vespa ready. Valentina is nervous, as we all are. Mm-hmm. So Greg, after a few false starts, gets it going, and off they go. They're off on their Italian trip on a Vespa. Would you ever do this? Not, Hell not no. multiple Vespas, one Vespa, Sarah on your back, riding through the mountains. Of Hell no. So I went to Hawaii, and uh, these little scooters are really popular in Hawaii. They are. And uh, Sarah wanted to ride one, and uh, we literally, we went to the place, I gave him the credit card, we got out on the scooter, she got on the back, I got on it, I turned it, we went about 10 feet, I stopped it, and I said, I'm not doing this. <laughs> Well done, sir. Well done. Blind I went back in, went back in. I think they charged me like 10 bucks for the whole experience. I said, adios, I'm not doing this shit. No, I just, it's too uncomfortable. And obviously Greg doesn't want to do it. And it doesn't really seem like Tanya wants to do it once they get out on the road. She seems pretty terrified as they're going to. Um, yeah. So cut back to two couples that I absolutely want to see on Family Feud. Um, <laughs> and Cameron <laughs> sees jet skis. Jet skis, and he wants jet to skis. Uh, yeah, he's that guy. Oh, we should do that. We should totally do that. Daphne says no. Then he asks E-Man. Mm-hmm. College name. All right. And Ethan says maybe later. Cameron says, well, you'd have to have motor skills for something like that. Harper takes note of that comment. But you know what's weird is that Ethan gets – Ethan just goes, what's that supposed to mean? He gets and defensive like, again. Yeah. It's like, what do you think it's supposed to mean? He's fucking with you. Like, joke back. Say something. I don't know. Like, it's – it's so obviously not meant as a personal attack that I'm I'm a little confused as to why Ethan responded this way. Again, Ethan is a very defensive person. Whether he was bullied in college, whether he was looked down on, whether he just didn't like himself, this guy is not willing to take much shit. Because this is the most mild, really you know, an guy friend sass ever. This is obviously just playful banter right now, but he oh. is immediately trying to make it a thing. Oh, oh, I don't have any. I don't have any motor skills, huh? Why don't we play pool, darts, yeah. basketball? Just like, throw some, I mean, it's just, it's so easy. I, it's very confusing, right? Um, I think you're right, though. I think that what they're doing with this character is that he's had a history such that he, he his own self-confidence is so rail thin that he just can't allow anything like this. Or it just, it, he, it, 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 it disrupts him. If they, we get into a conversation about what they're going to do now that they're rich. This is a character that I think being rich is going to be interesting on him. Because this is going to give him a measure of power control over circumstances that he may not have felt like he had before. So he says, a little elephant in the room, how do you guys like being rich? I thought hey. that was funny. That was pretty funny. Yeah. And uh, Harper and Ethan proceed to give the most douchey answer they could possibly cook up. And I was absolutely disgusted with the both of them by the time they were done. I, I, I was just like digging myself into my chair. It's like, even if this is 100% true... Why make the most awkward answer possible? Talk about the one frivolous thing you've done. That's what they're going for. They're just wanting to be fun about this right now. They don't want to hear about your charitable donations. Hey, Spencer, what's it like being rich now? Well, you know, I've donated a lot to the United Way, and we're you know we're helping foster some immigrants that are coming that are coming are coming right now. You know, they're refugees, so we're making sure to be able to support them. <laughs> really, we're trying to live the same lives and not let us change it. So, also, I'm a douche. So what kills me, though, is that your advice was to say the one extravagant thing that you've done. 
And I've had conversations with you where it's like, we're not, we're not, by the way, folks, we're not rich, but like we, we do make more, we do, we, we do make more money than we did in college. And so I have had that conversation with Spencer and you have struggled in the past to come up with the one extravagant thing. (laughs) This this is nothing where I'm donating to charity though. I'm just a miserly fuck that's putting my money in a sock (laughs) under my mattress. That's that. It's a different category of of, of, of going to the question. It's uh, do as I say, not as I do. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's the name of my autobiography right there. It's like a lot of great tips and followed none of them myself. I'm glad we're on the same page, though, because these two give an all really yeah, off-putting yeah. answer. And he says, I mean, not, not much has changed, to be honest. Nice to be able to help people, I guess, helping Harper's parents and my sister. Harper, yeah, we're not very materialistic. So, like, and I kind of felt like, I kind of felt like Aubrey Plaza was doing a little, like, comedy there i thought she was like doing almost like improv and how she like took on almost a different character Mm -hmm. like she did like this sort of vocal fry valley girl thing and it's not what harper is and it was just kind of funny but it was very out of place i I interpreted as her as as being further mockery that you know cameron interprets this as her as them as her mocking them i almost felt like her delivery was just further emphasizing that of where she's she's taking what her husband just did and stunting on you it's like ah we're better than you Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh Yeah, Ethan says Harper is thinking of starting a little foundation here and there, a little foundation action. Um, Daphne then says, you know, sometimes when I've had too much to drink, I wake up the next morning and I realize I've spent a lot of money. (laughs) Happens, happens. (coughs) Things that occur right there. What's funny about that to me is that like that she says that like she's like really revealing something. But it's like, hasn't everyone who's ever been drunk spent more money than they meant to spend? And that seemed like a desperate effort to get the conversation back on the rails. It felt like she was just doing a line of a certain element of self, you know, self-defacement to just say, you know, oh, you know, I'm a little bit frivolous with money. You know, sometimes when I'm drunk, I just spend it all. These things happen. It felt like she was purposely just trying to make the conversation mocking her to a little bit so that it'd be some effort of a vibe reestablished. You're a thousand percent right. And you know what it tells me is that Daphne actually has a little bit of self-confidence. <laughs> that she can do that without issue because... Clearly, we see Harper struggle with similar things. Yeah, that she's she's able to bring it back to her. she's able to bring it back to her in a sort of like, hey, let's all make fun of me for a minute so this doesn't get weird. And she clearly isn't bothered by it. Yeah, shout out to Daphne, right? Like best and, vacation partner of the episode. And, and Cameron immediately responds to it, but also then couples it into also trying to build up his wife to a certain degree. It's like, yeah, you know, she donates a lot to charity. We donate a lot to charity. He, it's a it's a good way of working off what she did, but also building her up in the process. Yeah, and she says, you know, neglected children, abused animals. I just start giving if I've had wine, you know, like and and then Cameron says, well, we're not materialistic pigs, despite what you might think. But it's like I kind of want to pause Cameron and say, a that was way too aggressive. But two, like just be like she gives to charity only when she's drunk does not mean that you're not materialistic. What? Like that that's not you haven't proved that there's no geometric proof here. Well, it's one of the things where Cameron and Daphne have endured a fair amount of snark, sniping, and just general, like, rolling of eyes from Harper so far. It seemed like this one actually rubbed him a bit the wrong way. Just like. It did. The materialistic thing. Because you notice when she said said that, he went, oh, yeah, okay. Like, he's kind of almost bailed out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You because you, you know how people will do that, right? Like you, somebody says something, and you just go, oh, yeah, well, fuck. Yeah, like, hey, it's said, that's the moment I get up and I go to the buffet. <laughs> That he had a go to the buffet moment when she said it, and he he does. You're right. I think he was really frustrated about this, right? And she goes, "I don't, I don't think that." And Harper gives her a look, like, "Really?" And Harper says, "I don't think that. I don't think that I'm going for a swim, right?" It, it, Cameron, Cameron says, "I something I said, like, 
you know, obviously like not happy with how that whole exchange went. And then he said, I'm going for a swim too. Got to say this, Spencer, after the swimsuit episode of uh, uh, swimsuit incident in the last episode, I am a little bit uncomfortable whenever he follows after her alone. Yeah, it was one of those things where when he sniped at Harper right there, I was really actually kind of team Cameron because like, yeah, what you just said was obviously meant to be a bit of a dunk on them. And he just responded, returned your fire. And she did not know how to take it. She did not know how to respond to somebody calling her out on what was obviously meant to be a bit of a put down. And she just kind of walks away. So I was like, you know what, Cameron? You said the aggressive thing, but I'm kind of with you. She she deserved that for what, for, the, for what she just said right there. But then when he starts to obviously go to follow her, I'm like, and I'm out. I was I'm out. I was with you for a second, but I know what you're about to do. And I was right before that scene's done. And he does it. Then we get a beautiful shot of an amphitheater. They're clearly shooting on location here. It was absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bert is getting around just fine. He's running wind sprints up and down right the, the damn the Greek theater. Up and down the damn stairs. I mean, shout out to him. He climbs up and Portia offers him some of her water, which I thought was like weird, but kind of sweet. It was like, she doesn't know this person and she's giving him like drinks out of her own bottle of water. It's kind of strange. You know, it's one of those things. There's something about Portia that rubbed me the wrong way, but what we get a read on her is is that comes across as a pretty nice person. She's in Eh. over her head. She's in over her head. I don't think she's an all of appropriate mix with Albie. But, you know, it's a nice little gesture where I got an old guy sits down right there and you're like, hey, I got some water. Here you go. I don't like her. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I know I, you don't. <laughs> no, I do like her, but it's just there's certain parts about her where I'd be like really kind of terrified to be around her. She, Pardon the comparison. They are emphasizing certain tropes of Gen Z with her to make her represent those. And they're doing they're purposely wielding those for, in certain ways for certain purposes. Hundred percent, and so he drinks some of her water and says, "Thank you, Kara." Kara is apparently his granddaughter's name, which starts a whole conversation about if Kara should be there with them. This is in reference back to what you said previously about him yes. seemingly forgetting things or being somewhat spacey, whatever else. Like maybe, maybe we got we got a couple data points. I don't think they're necessarily that too off the wall, but they are data points. So before I get to that, did you hear Dominic say a volcano was erupting? Yeah. Etna. It is always it is one of the most active volcanoes in the world, so it wouldn't be so oh. much of a surprise for it to be erupting. Oh, okay. Well, this is news to me because I I, I would have heard that and went, whoa, oh, oh, but I guess it's not a big deal. It, 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 same thing as like in Hawaii. Is that these are the two places, islands. Look at that. The, a volcano erupting in the background, not a big deal. Just part of the experience. Anyway, they start talking about Cara not being there and uh, really Abby not being there. And finally he says, what did you do anyway? What is so bad that you did? And Dominique just mouths the word fuck. He just goes, yeah, fuck. Why? I would be as – we're dunking on Dominique a little bit with respect to this episode. I would be as pissed off right here right now to have my dad doing this in front of other people. My son and his friend included. I agree, but I also think that there was pro- – there's like – there's just probably some space for Dominique to have a conversation with Bert that would stop this. Bert is being inappropriate, but it yes. seems like Dominique hasn't elaborated enough to shut Bert up about this. Like, I don't, I don't know. It just feels like there's a conversation that needs to be had that isn't being had because Dominique's not willing to have it. I, I will agree. Dominique could be handling this better, but I understand his frustration. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And Albie's trying to keep the peace. Poor peacemaker of the family. And he says, no, no, come on, come on. Bert says, he'll leave it be. And he does so for about 30 seconds. And then he says, completely unprompted, the Sicily is just so beautiful. Spencer, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Did you know Hades raped Persephone right here in Sicily? Right here. Raped her. Raped her. He says rape like seven times. He does. He keeps returning to and the rape. Just 
that's a point he wants to make very clear with respect to this story. I, I, I was actually familiar with that aspect of Greek mythology. I am having whiplash from the transition that got us from point A to point B right now, but, you know, I'm here with you. Portia's face during this entire thing is pretty funny. This actress really it does nail this scene because she's just looking and she's just kind of like, oh, interesting, mm-hmm. right? He goes on. She was picking flowers. He burst through the door and he raped her. We'll see what happens. Uh, he raped her. Uh, that's what happened. Then he dragged her down to the underworld. Portia <laughs> goes, well, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his ultimate buildup for this conversation is lovely and just going, and then her mother forgave him. So, you know, compared to that, how on earth is is your wife not forgiving you right now? Whatever you've done can't be as bad as that. As and he gets rape. up to leave. It's Hades and the raping. Yeah. Uh, he walks off. Dominique continues to try to ignore him. And Portia's face continues to be funny to me. Weird POV cut to someone like swimming and we're above it. But the thing about this POV cut is that it's not... We have so many odd cutaways in the show that it's not immediately clear that we're getting a person's perspective. Like, it just okay. might just be the camera for that cutaway, right? Well, in, in this case, the camera is Cameron, right? Yes. This is this is Cameron being a little bit leery before he then, you know, surfaces. Very much work. so. Very much so. And he, he goes under underwater and he uh, see, we see Harper. She's waiting. Uh, and she seems like a pretty good swimmer. She's waiting there mm-hmm. without too much problem. And he grabs her leg. And the the, the so... Would I do this to a friend's wife? Absolutely not. Not at all. But there's a 20% relatable here when he just comes up and goes, had to do it. Sorry. Because there's so many things that I do where I I just go, had to do it. Like, I mean, come on. That's a very relatable thing. You know, it's one of those things where if they've known each other for like 10 years and had that level of comfort with you, sure. Yeah. They're friends. Whatever else. They're not that by any definition, though. It's like they've known each other for two days, one day at this point. Yeah, it clearly puts her on the back foot, right? And um, back, back fin. She's on her back fin. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm sorry about before. I didn't mean to make you feel uncomfortable. I just I just feel like I keep saying the wrong thing, you know? I, I feel like you don't like me. Uh, Harper says, I like you. What? And it's like super weird and awkward. Yeah. I like you. What? And Cameron set goes on to say, it's important that she like them. And he says that you like me. Specifically, he says this. Yeah. Harper yeah. reframes and says, I like you both. Uh, Cameron says, okay, and spins away. What'd you take of this scene? Let's, let's break this scene down, Spencer. What'd you, what'd you think about this? Uh, it, it kept on going up and down for me. Like the first moment of when he just swims up underneath her and pulls her leg, it's like, dude, that's not, that's not the relationship you have. It's not appropriate. Then he offers like the apology. I was like, okay, you're trying. You're Cameron, but you're trying. Sure. And then it transitions to, I want you to like me. Repeated, emphasized. I'm like, are these guys swingers? Are these swingers? Is this the nature um, of their relationship? Is, I is, think they that they a, might. Is he a philanderer? So they might be swingers, but if they are, I think that he pushes it. Because I don't think Daphne seems like she's given any of those vibes to Ethan at all. Not that we've gotten so far. Um, but, I mean, we, we've seen some signs already that he may enjoy a relationship with other women. How that works in their relationship, who knows. But he's telegraphing pretty hard to Harper here that he's interested in something with her right now, which I would say so. Yeah. Uh, what on a scale of 10, what is her level of comfort with this conversation right now? That's hard because it seems like she's pretty uncomfortable, but like there are little moments that she gives where it's like, she might be slightly interested. Like when he says, I, I, you know, I, I, it's important that you like me. And she goes, I like you. What? Like, it's like, 
I don't know. And then like the, the second and third glance to him in the mirror, mm-hmm. I, he's being inappropriate there. They are, he's being inappropriate, gonna, but I, I am just struggling with her reactions to some of this. It is going to be very interesting to see how they play out the mutual relationship between these characters. Cause in some ways I almost feel like she and Cameron might be a better match than she and Ethan. Just maybe it's a little, that bit might weird. be, that might be what she needs. It, it, it and I think maybe Ethan might be a better match with, you know, Daphne. And I think they may play with that. And that could be weird to see where that goes. Yeah, for sure. So uh, cut to Tanya and Greg on the Vespa. Tanya is squeezing him super tight. And he keeps telling her to release the grip a little bit. And, you know, what they're doing here is they're just playing with our expectations, right? Because they're just making it seem like the the man on the wire is going to fall, you know, down uh, you yes. know, off the wire and, and the man never falls. Right. Like, and, and so they're just, they're giving us that sense of tension that they're going to get in a wreck, but they never do. And there's so many of those moments in season one of white Lotus where you think something is about to happen, especially toward the end where you keep thinking someone's about to die and it doesn't happen. And what mm-hmm. it does is just, it, it just kind of lifts you up and puts you on the edge of your seat as you're watching. And I think that was the point of this scene. It's a certain element of proper Hitchcockian thriller of where a bomb's under the table and explodes and bobs under the table, you know, it's there and it doesn't explode. That's a thriller. That's more interesting. Uh, Also, just as a guy who's dating a woman that loves motorcycles, uh, full face helmets, people much safer, much better off. Also keep the bugs out of your teeth. This plays, this goes right here, right here too. You're, your girlfriend rides motorcycles? Oh, yeah. But she was in Malaysia. She rode a motorcycle all the damn time. She loves the things. I didn't know that. See, you just don't tell me shit about yourself. I'm very frustrated. Someday. Someday you'll know, and that'll be the moment I'll kill you. I'll get there. I'll get there. Cut to the evening, and we see Mia and Lucy in the bathroom. Yet again, yet again, monopolizing the lobby bathroom. This is night two of them doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucy explains they have to do a threesome. They just got to at this point. They owe him. Uh, this is her explanation. What? Mia doesn't fight her on this too. Mia was kind of a little bit not not seemingly not as into the idea last episode. This episode she's like, yeah, that tracks. I bought a lot of shit. It's like, okay, that's she. Yeah, it, it yeah it is. It, it almost seemed like you were almost getting to like the point that I think I was too. Like almost a tad protective of loose of uh, Mia in the situation. Yeah, it's like 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 to the, to the ex- yeah to the extent of like look you're you're in this very dangerous hazardous profession don't yank your friend into it but you know she she, but she does admit earlier in the episode which which was just a very brief interaction pool side that i missed um but it's not that important where she admits she's a little drunk she does admit this yes and so part of me is wondering like does she agree to this because she's drunk or what but she does just kind of say i do it but the problem is you're there and then they playfully go back and forth and kiss uh lucia says they have to hurry they have to do it they gotta do it mia finally says okay let's do it fuck it and so they do the only thing you can do which is hide your clothes hide your clothes in the public bathroom uh take off to the lobby for more drinks i mean that's obviously what you do in this movie they have a room now they do they have keys they don't have to do this anymore yeah, but I don't think that she's really allowed to go to the room. She has a key. There's no one going to stop her. There's not a gate guard to get to the room. Yeah, I just think I think that that might be a, a she might be worried to this bridge too far, just going in and out of his room. Um, so uh, they go to the bar oh, and oh, they are oh, also recommendation on five star resorts. If you go to the front desk and ask them to store shit, they will store whatever you want for as long as you want. It's part of the part of what you're paying for, but they don't know that. That's part of what you're paying for? Yes. 
I think. Yeah. I've never been allowed I, within 100 yards of a, of a five-star resort. But I would assume that's part of the experience. Concierge service, basically. Yes. Um, Mia knocks back some liquor, walks over to the piano player. I thought this was going to go way worse than it did. I like... I actually really liked how they played this out, of where he's... He's effectively... He's not, maybe a certain element of chasing, but he's also just being deferential to her about... I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm going to interact with you whatever way you want to interact. And she makes the active effort to say, I'm not mad at you. Let's be normal. Let's, let's ignore what happened, whatever else. And it works out fine and sets up a lovely scene of her singing and playing the piano that I wasn't expecting we were going to get. But when you have two people who have had a weird, awkward situation. Yes. And one person knocks back a shot and then takes off for them across the room. You're, that's usually a sign I'm that something bad's about to happen. Yes. Right? But... They turn it on its head and it ends up being really kind of an okay interaction, right? Yes. So she comes up. She says, I'm not mad. You should be mad at me. And for the record, I am not a prostitute. She says the word prostitute. I just like to point that she out. She does. She well, says. They, tra- they translated it as prostitute. Right? We have subtitles here. I don't know. That's what, that's what I read. Uh, mm-hmm. She says, I'm a singer. And he kind of chuckles at that. And she's like, yeah, you don't believe me. Okay. Uh, how about this? I'll, I'll sing a song. And he's like, no, no, you're not singing a song. And she's like, no, let me do it. Come on. Please let me do it. Now. I'm surprised that he lets her do it. Yeah. I, um, I actually strongly encourage people to not do this because you're really putting the professional person who's paid to be there in a very awkward position. Uh, but he agrees to let her do it. Yeah, I would agree. Don't do this. I would. I think that's uh, Uncle Spencer to the kids. Please do not go up to the person who's paid to provide music and say, I'm going to play your instrument now. Yeah, if you suck, you're interfering with their set. People ultimately judge them. And if you're great, you're stunting on them and making them look worse. Yeah, but what's weird about this is that I think she's the appropriate level of good that it does neither to this guy. I agree. It's, it, it, it doesn't interfere, but it's also it's also more just charming rather than stellar. Right. It's it's good. It's really good, but it's not so over the top that I think he feels like he can't go on and play, right? Yes. Um, so, but the thing I noticed about this scene is how locked in Lucia was for her friend. Like, she was, yes. like, really locked in Cheer and just, root, just rooting for her to do well, right? And she does, even though she's been drinking all day long, which is absolutely unrealistic. That I mean, she at least would be off-key, at least at a minimum, if she's been drinking all day. But what she sings is a song called Best Things in Life for Free. It was composed, in English. By, composed by Ray Henderson, but it was made famous by a guy you might know named Sam Cooke. Mm-hmm. Uh, does a great job. And the piano player seems to get a kick out of it. He really does. He seems charmed by this. And uh, Lucia is just so hyped for her friend. She even gets a nod from the piano player at the end and a round of applause from the crowd. And she doesn't go on too long. She does this for about a minute, minute and a half, and then she ends. And then Lucia says, let's celebrate two more. Because, you see, Spencer, they weren't going to drink before, but now they need to celebrate. Yeah, now absolutely. Celebrate. Yeah, no, The drinking was out. They were done. Straight Tito was the rest of the evening. But then she did so well. You got to have have to. Yes. You were not to. Yeah. Cut to Albie and Portia walking back in. Then Tanya and Craig arrive. Greg takes off and basically runs away from Tanya. <laughs> Just like Full takes speed. off away from her. Portia sits down with Albie. Tanya and Greg walk in in the dining room. Tanya and Greg walk in the dining room. And Tanya motions at Portia like, what the hell? This is now the third time in two episodes that Portia's been in the same dining room as Tanya. When Tanya's trying to eat. And Tanya has given her one job. Stay in your room. One job, which is either stay in your room, but at a minimum, just don't find yourself in the same place as me. Like, do a little bit of scoping. I don't know. I, it would seem to me a situation ripe for a lot of room service. That's now, what I'm saying. I mean, if, you, if you were Tanya at this point... To what degree would you assume this has to be intentional? Three times in a row, 
In not even three nights. They've only been in Sicily for like a day. It's like, you have to assume it would be intentional. I'll tell you what I would do. I would check I would check her bill immediately. Because I would assume she's just hanging out in the lobby and drinking and just buying Did, tons of food. And just like, because it seems like she's just there all the time. I, I'd also like, do they not talk? A simple text thread could easily just say, I'm going to dinner at this time at this restaurant. Don't be there. It's like, apparently they don't. No, I could see Tanya thinking that she has to ghost her completely. Um, I could see her making that connection to what Greg said. So uh, cut to Cameron and Daphne. And Daphne is trying not to look at her phone to check out her kids. We covered this in the last episode. It's a very real phenomenon for new mothers. Uh, absolutely sympathetic to that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you leave your kids for one of the first times, uh, it got to be got to be very difficult to do that. And so she's just trying not to look at the phone. And I feel like Cameron's trying to give her some encouragement not to do that. They ask Harper and Ethan if they want kids. Um, I'm not sure I would ever recommend to do this, ask this question to a couple, unless you're really, really, really close. It's just a, it's a really actually, it's a type of question that parades as casual, but it's really a super intimate question to ask someone. It's, it, it's not necessarily appropriate, I would say. It, it is uh, not, it, it is a rough question to ask and it's a question they shouldn't ask. I don't think Ethan and Harper do themselves any favors with respect to their answer. It's like, you know, Bridget and I get that question, and we just make a big joke, and it's, ah, we got a dog and a rabbit, and they, they, they fill off of our time. Or it's even be direct. It's like, nah, I don't think that's for us. And don't make a big deal of it. Don't say Harper's default line about, well, I just, you know, don't feel that bringing a child into this world right now. It's like, you're talking to a couple parents. What are you doing right now with that line? Yeah. So... Something about this scene, either the table is too high or the chairs are too low. Because poor Aubrey Plaza is having to eat a plate that is above her boobs. <laughs> it's high up there, yes. Yeah, it's very strange. I don't know who blocked that scene, but I noticed it. Anyway, um, so they store Sam out an answer to this question about wanting kids. Harper says she struggles to bring a kid into this world right now with everything going on. Never mind. Spencer, wonderful point. Uh, if you do think that this world is uh, right on the verge of apocalypse and you think that that is therefore not, you shouldn't be bringing kids into the world because everything is so bad, uh, probably keep that to yourself around people with young children. Probably. Again, I think she even catches herself with respect to this one. Like, this is a really asshole thing to say to new parents. Yeah, uh, it is. It's tough. Halfway through, but it's already out there. Now, it, so some might argue, well, they asked me a super intimate question, so I, yeah, I'm just going to give an answer. But I think I think that the question shouldn't have been asked, but the answer was also inappropriate. Yes. Uh, Daphne and Cameron don't seem to understand the idea that something is wrong with the world right now. I mean, I, I think this is twice now that this has yeah. come up. And they both look at her like, what are you talking about? The world seems pretty great to us. I mean, did you just not hear we're, about we're, us we're going to Venice? Yeah, it's awesome. Ethan then drops this one. The problem is... I'm more of a morning sex guy, and she's not a morning person. She's a night person. By then, with work stuff, I'm always fried. Why now, does he do this? Why does he just so clearly make his wife the focus of negative attention right now? It's like, that's a real asshole move on his part right here. It's like, you're opening the door to just comment on your wife's sex preferences right now among people she's told you she's not comfortable with. Ethan, what the fuck? You're right. I wonder if he's so bad at the sort of like small talk, joking around thing. This was his attempt at it. That this was he was really trying to just ham it up, but he's just so 
tone deaf socially that he, this was his attempt. Because if it was his attempt, he's awful at it because it, this is terrible. It's, it is very much either that or he's intentionally trying to put her on the spot because there's some resentment building there. In my mind, it almost has to be one or the other and neither neither is good. So everybody just starts saying stuff they shouldn't say at this point. Um, but I do have a question for you. What do you make of the look that Harper gives Ethan immediately after he says that? It was a look of why the fuck to me it was a why the fuck are you airing our laundry right now yeah to me it was uh yeah i i kind of got a little bit of oh okay we're playing this game like we're gonna we're gonna just like say whatever now okay um, that's, that's an interesting read too it's, it's also one of those things too of like it's not there's nothing wrong with them not having sex if that's their relationship or not sure that way. yeah but absolutely it, the issue is that it clearly is a problem for the two of them it's like if that was their relationship great but clearly neither is happy with how things are going and now they're discussing it in public. Yeah, because like this is my my so the the counter to Cameron and Daphne who really are unbelievable is yes. there are a lot of people who settle into a relationship and have sex periodically but not like every fucking night tickle monster. And they're like, very happy. And that's totally fine if it works for them. So like, you know, he does get off a little judgy when when he goes, "Oh, so you're not having sex?" And they feel they obviously felt the judgment yeah. because they had to Ethan immediately has to go, "No, no, no, we do, we do." And then Harper, it's really funny. Good. I I feel like we're getting a little bit of April from Parks and Rec yeah. here cuz she goes, "No, the sex is like amazing." Uh-huh. Like she character acting slips into a different character. Yes. I think. Again, she's playing a certain element of mockery. It seems like that that's her mocking voice that she brings to the character. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. That's probably what is what she's doing a little bit because she's catching that. Like, I guess that like this, like that the act of sex is so fundamental to Cameron and Daphne's relationship. The idea that they're, they, this couple it's isn't doing that for them. It's like, is bad. And I think that Harper is making fun of that a little bit. That's a good like, call. You, you don't have sex with your children? Are you barren? Are, is one of you in chemo? That, that's the level of flabbergasted they seem to be. Or they're just dick. Or Cameron's just a dick. Not being yeah. mutually exclusive with respect to this character. Yeah, and you know what you what you want Harper to do is say, well, yeah, I mean, like my, my husband doesn't have a sexual appetite such that he hits on the, the spouses of... You know, his friends a day into a shared vacation. Give him a week um, of knowing each other first. Let, build up to those kind of jokes. Uh, Daphne, who really is a ray of sunshine in this cloud of crap, says, you know, I think it's just sometimes like hard to sync up. You know what? Best be, best vacation companion ever. Right there. Daphne gets a round of applause for the Mangum Talks people today. Bravo, bravo. She says, with kids, it just gets worse. She says, it's worse for her, but not Cameron. Cameron says, well, hey, what, the last one almost killed me. And she's like, oh, it didn't kill you. It almost killed me. And then, whoa, uh, they go into a super intense story about how she had troubles in her last labor and had, an, had to have an emergency cesarean. They induced her. They suddenly couldn't find the baby's heartbeats. They thought the baby might have died during the procedure. Uh, Cameron does this whole like acting 401 monologue thing and he's like I walk into the room and then Daphne's guts all over the table anyway it goes on and on and he finally lands with it's in those moments you realize just how much you love somebody Daphne tells him she loves him and it seems to me that Harper and Ethan look at each other like ooh I'm not sure we love each other like that <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate that scene because it really challenged a lot of both Harper and Ethan's perceptions on the two of them of where they suddenly have a realization of oh we kind of looked at them as just flippant and rich and never having any problems or never having difficulties and they just aired some like really serious shit that we've never even gotten close to having to endure together 
And now I don't know how to look at these two right now. It was a, it was a, it was a humanizing moment to the degree that it wasn't like, intentionally performative, but it really made both Harper and Ethan suddenly go, huh, I was judging this maybe not completely. Say, I felt like there was two ways to think about their look to each other. Mm-hmm. And it was either what you just p- provided, which was, oh, man, we really look like assholes here because we have been characterizing these people as just surface level, vapid, you know, idiots. And look what they just dropped on us. Alternative. I, al- I also think, th- but, it, but I, so I had that thought, but then I also had the thought of like, maybe they were looking at each other like, ugh, like. Dinner conversation? I'm, I'm not, well, no, I'm not sure that me and you have this same feeling, like almost like an insecurity in their relationship by comparison type thing. I, I think a little bit of both. I think it's fair with respect to this. I mean, so much of how they're looking at themselves is now being driven by the relationship of this other couple that I don't think that they can avoid that. I think they're just stuck in that groove right now. Spencer? Yeah. Your mistake is that you're sloppy. Look, look, so hey, look, look, a man has to do what a man has to do, mm. but you got to keep it tight, you know, keep it tight, keep it tight. God, Bert sucks sometimes. I was going to keep, I was going to keep playing with you on that respect this, but fine, no, we'll move on with the scene. But yes, it's, it, this is his perspective on this, that you just don't want to rub it in their face. I mean, do your thing, go out there, but being open about it, that, that's just coarse. It's a wonderfully, and I mean wonderfully just like in a superlative sense, not like good, but just like over the top, like misogynistic thing to think. And, you know, this, this type of concept of like, of like men, well, let's not give them passes on that because there were a lot of men that didn't think that that 50 years ago. Um, But there is still, I, I have found that this, this prevalence or this, this idea is still prevalent that like a man do, does what a man has to do, but you just don't rub your wife uh, nose in it among the very rich and specifically professional athletes. Yeah. Specifically professional athletes still talk this way. Yeah. It, it's, it's fun to like read from a history standpoint. I was reading about, you know, old monarchs cause I don't have a social life. Uh, and one of the, one of the historians notes was, uh, this King and his wife clearly had a great relationship because he had no open affairs. It's like, Oh, how things have adjusted over time, if that's the bar. Did not actively bring his his whores to court is suddenly a great marker for a quality relationship. Yeah, he was more Tywin Lannister instead of Robert Baratheon. Yeah, he right? built he was... a tunnel underneath the city to be able to hide it. Quality dude. Yeah, ha- have your son do it. It's very easy. Mm. Um, so, Dominic then tells Bert, well, I don't think you were quite as discreet as you thought you were about your own affairs, Bert then questions the word affairs. He says they were just peccadillos, which I had to look that word up. It just means like a um, little, sort little of trivial a trivial things, little little trivial um, bit of harm, like like a, a small little blip, a little yeah. teeny little trivial mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, Bert tells Dominique, "Fix it, fix it." Dominique says, "I don't know if I can." Bert says, "Look, you need to get your act together." Uh, and here's the thing I want, just as a, a viewer of the show, I want Dominique to have had enough, maybe in the next episode, mm-hmm. pull out his phone, dial Abby, and hand it to Bert and say, okay, you want to talk to her so bad? Talk to her. Because I feel like that Abby that we got would rip his head off for doing that. I think the Abby would just be more pissed at Dominique. I think she actually might be polite with Bert. I don't know, but she just seems so wildly unhinged yes. that I, I don't know if Dominic get, or Bert gets on the phone and goes, you need to start free. If he starts throwing that word, you should forgive. 
it might trigger her. Like I, I picture her being like, "Okay, Bert, thank you. You know, nice to speak to you. Can you hand me back to Dominique right now?" And Click. then we just hear the sounds you. of hell. Yes, <laughs> that. Yeah, so maybe he won't do it. I, I really, will. I just feel uh, from what we got of this uh, this character Abby, which you you looked up the actress's name, Laura right? Dern. Okay. Laura Dern. Um, I just think she's going to haul off on anybody who tells her that she should be forgiving her husband for what he's done. It's it's a risk that Dominic should not be willing to take. I think he should. For, you will uh, for my own value. my own entertainment value. Cut to Lucia and Mia sitting at a table, and they are not discreetly at all waving at Dominic, but they are load, loaded at this point. Cut to Abby and Portia, uh, Albie and Portia. Albie explains that his dad cheats on his mom a lot. Just got caught again. Portia, yikes for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, Albie explains, this is why his mom and sister aren't there. They're really pissed. Portia asks, are you pissed? And it did seem to me as though Albie had never pondered the question before. It's like, you really came from a place of, I'm not allowed to be pissed. That's not my job. Yep. I, 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 that's not the hat I wear. And suddenly I feel like, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess. What does is, what is being pissed feel like? I mean, but I, I'm the peacemaker, so... Yeah. And so she then starts connecting it to other parts of his family. She or other parts of his his life. She goes, "Oh, so you're the nice one in the family. So are you like that with girls too?" And he, the nice guy, which I love the I love the, even the <sighs> subtitles were in air quotes when they said the nice guy. And Albie says, "Girls always complain that guys aren't nice, but then they find a nice guy and they aren't always interested." Here's the thing, Albie. That's a true uncle Uncle Lee out there to Albie. That gets better as you get older. It very much does. That is a thing I experienced when I was younger around certain women. But that is something that I feel like um, the the being a, quote, nice guy or being someone who's reliable, who doesn't cheat on you, doesn't abuse you, et cetera, all this stuff, right? It just becomes more valued over time, I have found. So I just, I just want to tell him, like, hang tight, buddy. You'll probably be able to find somebody who will appreciate that in time. Yeah, it's also one of those things, too, about, you know, if, you know, you're a nice guy and that's not what she's looking for right now. That's fine. You don't have to, you know, perfectly vibe with every woman around you. If she likes that and, you know, that's who you are, great. Run with that. If she doesn't, be friends with her and not worry about it. That's okay, too. Partner with people that actually like you and you get along with. That, you are, you are asking for a level of acceptance that a young 20-year-old boy I is. know. That I, is, it, it, it that's, a, that, that's elite level acceptance right there. Like, Tell, just to imme- immediately to accept it, it immediately accept she doesn't like you and, okay, now we're going to be friends and I'll never think romantically about this person again. That is some, that's Jedi right there. I, that's I, high level. I was kind of skipping the A to E steps right there, but, you know, it, it, you don't, don't worry about this. They're fine. They go, they, they, there's no issue. I do also want to point out that this, this, this concept that like girls don't want good guys. They only want the bad guys. That is like, it's a purposeful trope. Al, Albie's thinking it in a sort of woe is me self pity thing, yes. which is also unattractive in and of itself. But it's also can be a very dangerous thing on the flip because a lot of guys think that and go, Oh, they want me to be abusive. They want me to be yeah. bad. They, and they think that it that is somehow. On itself. Right. So it's also, it's kind of a dangerous thing to sort of propagate. So like, I don't, I, I'm not saying I always believe that, but I am saying that like the issue, the discreet issue, he's, he's saying, Albie, it'll get better. You'll find people. And by the way, I find it very unrealistic that someone looking like Albie has any trouble finding fucking women. That, that is a laughable thing to me. I, I think we get some signs. Olive skinned, 2% body fat. Give me a fucking break. He's a good looking guy. He does have some charisma issues. He does have some self-confidence issues, and that can be a hurdle. 
that can be a bit of an issue. Because clearly Porsche's interested. She's going out. But we get to see she interacts with them more and more. The connection fizzles pretty quickly. Yeah. He just says, I just don't want to be like my dad. I refuse to have a bad relationship with women. And I think that's kind of admirable to think it, that it, way. It's admirable, but it does show a certain element of trauma in him that's not that he's not really addressing. That if he's building himself and his love life on not being his dad, he's not really having a chance to be his own person. He's just deciding what he isn't. And that can be a dangerous path to walk. Yeah, if it's a single, if it's the only focus he has about relationships, I agree. It's but the only um, point we're getting, but I understand your point there. But uh, but it but it could be it certainly could be a good starting point, right? Because like not everybody has like a male father figure growing up that like they can look at and go, "I want to be just like that guy." Sure. But if they're able, but if they're able to learn the lesson in reverse, then good on them, right? Then, it, then good good on you for being able to do that. Life and balance. Portia says she just wants to. Have, I just want to have fun. I just want to like. I don't know. Like, just go crazy. I just want to like. I don't know. Like, I just you know like. Ugh. She's like, I'm seeing a fucking like TikTok and Bubble and screens and apps and like sitting there like Netflix binging. I just want to like live my life, you know. I feel like this is really buying into the theory both you and I had last episode of where this is very much the Generation Z first time out. She her life yes. has been spent in COVID. Her adult her early adulthood was spent in COVID. Now she's out in the world getting to experience it. And she just wants to be free about it. So I can't wait until about 10 years from now when the code, the, uh, I'm going to call this generation COVID because it's just something I'm making up for the point of the conversation. Yeah. But like, let's say they came of age, meaning they were 18 or 19 when COVID started. Yes. Which right? is this character, basically. Right. In about 10 years, they'll be in their mid thirties or so. And yes. that's when they'll, some of them will actually become good writers. And I really want to see some good first person Ooh. accounts. Some good books about what it was like being a 21-year-old kid and you, from the time you were 18 until now, had been sitting in a home and your only interaction with the other sex was on a screen. What happened when you hit the club for the first time? That's what I want to know. That's going to be interesting. Because that's basically the story we're seeing with this character right now, which just, again, hits so hard that she is not on the same page with Albie. At all. But by the way, by the way, this is a vacation hookup you got like i i would have like i want to like be a referee and just stay time out right in the yes. middle of the conversation they go Let's you guys don't need to a second you guys don't need to even be asking each other what you really want in a partner like y'all just need to be like what what netflix shows you're, do you you're, you're hot i'm hot let's go have yeah dinner. like let's eat good food let's have some shots and talk bullshit and have some yeah. have sex if you want to like that's all you need to do you know what they need they need daphne to come into the conversation right now yes with relationship manager they need Daphne to, would help to this set out. the two of them down and explain to them or let them talk about, okay, let's discuss what you both actually want right now rather than what your 30-year plan is. Please. Yeah, the conversation got way too deep way too quick for what is essentially a vacation hookup. So um, well, well, Albie does say he she's wants... she's looking for a vacation hookup. I don't think Albie is, and that's a big problem. Um, or maybe Albie he... doesn't know how to. See, I, I maintain that Albie can... At the same time, want to have it, this girlfriend that he's talking about, yes. but then also just want to just randomly hook up with somebody on vacation. Like men are capable of both of those thoughts at the same time. It is. I don't know if Albie is. Yeah, we'll I don't more. know either. I don't know. Um, so then he does drop this line, which you picked up before, on before, where he says he's attracted to wounded birds, which, which I was is just an interesting line. What, how do you unpack that? It's an interesting line to tell another person that you're with. So the um, implication is that 
I'm viewing you as a wounded bird right now is not among the most romantic things you could tell another person. I'm not sure he's strategic enough. I don't think he really... She might have took it that way, but I'm not sure he's that pointed in how he's... I think he's so open and honest that he's just saying what he is. And, and the fact that he would be attracted to projects to fix makes a lot of sense because he spent his entire life fixing his dad. Yes. Like, so it would make a lot of sense that that's who he's attracted to. And I think he's just being like too honest in this conversation. I, I agree. I think he is. I'm just curious how Portia impacts these. Portia doesn't seem to like to respond well to that. She just kind of goes, no. oh, okay. No, she doesn't. Yeah, you're right. She might because she's very awkward with him later. So cut to Tanya and Greg. Tanya does the lady in the tramp thing with the spaghetti. Shout out to Tanya. That was so charming. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. I hate when people do that in restaurants. It was cute. Whatever. It was cute. You, you hate when so, people do that in restaurants. You are so team Tanya. You are so she was not. Team Tanya. She wasn't even loud about it. She, yes, she it was, was very. I heard it echoing through my headphones. That was that's just not true. She was very not loud about it. Uh, you're just being very Greg here in your and abusive time. Then she moved the meatballs with her nose. It was just entirely performative. She got her pasta pangole with giant clams in the Vespa ride. She got her perfect Italy day. Ain't nobody gonna mess up her day. It's mm-hmm. gonna be perfect from here on out. There's gonna be absolutely no problems. So he says five, four, three, two. Well, I gotta go to Denver. Fuck. Um, <laughs> and then it all goes to hell. So, um, Spencer, he's got to leave in the middle of a vacation to, to go Denver. do to go do work in the middle of a vacation. He's got to leave to go do work. I just was wondering if maybe you've ever heard of this phenomenon or this is ever something. I don't know. Maybe you read about the book or something. I don't know. Uh, I've had to leave in the moment of vacation to go on my laptop and do work. I've never seen somebody actually have to, you know, at least particularly not like the last two years when Zoom and Skype became everywhere and easily accessible. That anyone needed to be in person to do any meeting ever anymore. I'll tell you, it. He's obviously lying, but it's a good lie because he says he has to go fight for a budget. And in the government, in, in you in, have to do that a lot. In government world, that really does have to happen at the department level and sub department level. Like he's, it's a good lie. Um, Not so she in, per, in person though, in person still. Yeah, maybe for maybe because the the the. You might feel like you can get more traction. Um, it's easier to yeah, tell somebody fair. no. Easier to tell somebody no over Zoom than tell them no to their face. Yeah. Um, so she gets really upset about this and pushes on him about why he can't just quit. And he drops this line, which I think is very telling. I can't quit. I can't afford to quit. You made me sign a prenub. What if we don't work out? Yeah, that one was, again, I've been talking about building resentment throughout the entire episode. That one hit hard about... Okay, that one's been your craw from the start, hasn't it? Well, and also with what we learn at the end of the episode, it seems like there's a long-term plan to sort of nix that prenub. So that, him him pointing out, hey, you may be signing the prenub, I, I got the feeling that maybe his long-term plan is to harp on that enough that she finally scraps it. And we have that with benefit of hindsight, what, what comes later in the episode. In the moment, I can understand a certain degree of resentment on his part about her saying, you know, just be my kept man. Just give up all of your independent career or whatever else and just rely on my good graces. I have concerns there, particularly with what he levels out here is that, you know, I don't trust you. You're flighty. You change your mind. You abandon people like right and left. I don't want to be one of those people. I need a certain degree of security. It's like being a bit of a dick now, but I fully get what you're saying. No, all of that makes sense. 
All of it makes sense. And that's why I started the whole thing with saying there are moments in this episode where I feel a little sympathetic for Greg. But ultimately what we ultimately what we figure out is that this is all bullshit. He probably doesn't even work for the Bureau of Land Management. That when he's going and leaving, he's going to his second family the whole time. It's, it's, just, it's a big revelation at the end. But you're right. In the moment, I did think, huh, it makes some sense. I, I, I would want to keep my career as well. I'd also, I also thought Tanya responded both in character but also very immaturely to what he just said to him. She basically kind of throws a tantrum and walks away just saying he's being mean. No, I don't. Well, I mean, it's hard for me to say she's not ever being immature. She's always immature. But yes. I do think that him saying, you know, you toss people so much. He's going hard. It's fair. I she's think I think I think her stopping and going, man, it sounds like you really don't like me is a totally fair reaction to that. Because he was really he was really running her down pretty hard yeah. there. I, I would have recommended that he presented his argument to three. He's instead going at a solid eight right now. And yeah, I can understand why she'd be offended. She still also just kind of gets into an immature huff and walks out. Crying. Well, yeah, the crying. Th- I mean, that's just like, it's Tanya, okay? It, she's, it, a, she's a beautiful, she's a wounded bird. Is. She's a beautiful butterfly. Cut to a waterfall cutaway. Loved it. Loved it. The inertia of the water going to the waterfall. Oh, it's great. Throwing you off a cliff. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely where we're at mid-season in fucking... White Lotus is that there's all this inertia for these characters and they're all about to get fired right off a cliff. I wonder if everyone's fallen off here before. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't I bring my roller skates? Cut to Portia and Albie. She gets to her room. Portia tells Albie not to repeat any of this shit. She told him about her boss and all that. You know, she signed an NDA. Spencer is her legal counsel. How would you advise? Uh, Remember what I said earlier that she's not great at her job? Uh, (laughs) Uh, Apparently she just vented everything to this guy that she just met. It's like, yeah, I know she's probably judgment proof, but did, no, don't do this. Please don't do this. No, Spencer, you tell you tell me about all the NDAs you signed, and you tell me all the stuff that you're not supposed to tell me. Now, would you? No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> my, my face just blue screened to say like my career's ending. Is this guy's making jokes on screen right now? That's uh, that's totally just a joke to get Spencer's reaction. Uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty what? funny. Pretty funny about the fact that she just says. Oh, and by the, like at the end of the conversation. Oh, by the way, I have an NDA. I'm not supposed to be saying any of this stuff. I, yeah, I, and, and to your point, I mean, I don't know how you would have any sort of like judgment against her for this. Like, she to her point, she has a fucking laptop. But nonetheless, like bad form. Totally I, bad form. I, I also will note that people throw in NDAs and particularly non-disparagements like candy. It's like you know they can get you prevent you from saying anything. A lot of states, they're just almost per se unenforceable. So just mention that detail as well. But you know, do your own research when you sign the damn things. Yeah, Elon. Um, so then we get some backstory on Tanya. Her dad was a shipping magnet out of San Francisco and he was like inappropriate or pervy toward her, might've raped her or something. Uh, it's unclear. Way too and much. Way too much. He ended up committing suicide and that explains Still too why. much. Going too much. Explains why Tanya's been stunted emotionally. You know, yes, Albie does have some, what did you call it? Charisma concerns or something? Yes. Um, but Portia's I'm not filter concerns. Yeah, but Portia's got some charisma concerns over her. Oh, she's not. She's not like laying the bed of roses here. Like, I mean, no. she's weird. Um, so yeah, it's tough. Uh, again, it, I'll be probably about the same age as Portia. He comes across as acting a little bit older, but I think they're probably about the same. If age. anything, she might be older than him. Maybe. I think they're going to a certain degree that both of these characters are socially a bit stunted in terms of how they interact with others. Okay, and so now we get to something I really want to talk about. So he says, can I kiss you? And when he says, can I kiss you? 
it seems to turn her off. And yeah. she says, yes, and he kisses her. So the question to you, Spencer, it's a question I've posed to many of my friends many a time. Something I've been trying to get to the bottom of for a long time. Are you supposed to ask before you lean in for the kiss? Question to you. It's a difficult situation. It's clearly not what she wanted, but I think we've set up. I mean, she set up from the very first conversation the episode with her friend. What, what was the what was the phrase she used that she wanted to be thrown around by a muscular Italian guy or something? Yeah, she did say thrown around. Yeah, he's not the kind of guy she's looking for. This is just a further sign of that. She wants somebody that is, forgive the term, aggressive with her to a certain degree. That doesn't feel the need to you know go through the niceties, whatever else. And that's just not how happy is. That's not what he's comfortable with. It's not what the kind of relationship he wants to have. It's something he's heavily stigmatized with respect to, you know, his concept of his dad and his dad's relationship with women. So with respect to asking for permission first, it could be an easy way to verify consent, but as shown here, for certain people, it's not the kind of vibe they want. You get to know the other person as best you can and best of luck with how things play out. And be willing to apologize when things go wrong or don't go the way you hoped or expected. Okay. Um, that's the answer I routinely get from a lot of my male friends. And I, uh, have staken my claim on this for the last 15 years. You always fucking ask because the, if you ask and it, the person doesn't want you to ask you know the negative, the negative, the, well, no, the negative consequences are so much less than if you don't ask and the person wanted you to. That is a very fair point. So always fucking ask. That's my opinion. But the show seems to be telling you that you're a loser if you ask. That's what it's the show seems to be fucking telling you because they really paint they paint Albie as sort of being like this stiff and like she's clearly judging him in the moment for it. And it's like, dude, he just fucking asked he met you two days ago. And, and like he's gonna ask you so that he makes sure you're on the same page. Don't fucking don't fucking judge him for that. I, I didn't read the show is judging him. I read the character is judging him. Very much read Porsche judging him and this not being what she wanted or her expectations, whatever else. I didn't read the show as much doing it, just more as emphasizing of these two aren't clicking. This they're not after the same thing, they're not the same people. They could be best vacation buds, and that could be great in terms of men just being able to talk and go to nice dinners together. But from a romantic standpoint, they're not after the same thing. And or or that's fine. Or just hook up and don't give a fuck. Like just you don't it's, have to. Not it doesn't have to. Doesn't have to be smooth. You don't have to be burning with desire. Like you're on a vacation, have some fun. That's what she said she wanted to do to begin with. So why is she being so judgy about the guy? Like let, if you let, want to just have fun, have fun. Let these two awkward penguins continue to be awkward because this is going to be the season, sir. This I'm is not buckle a, up. This is what's going to be. I'm not a Porsche fan. I don't think. I don't think I, I am. No shit. It's come up. So Porsche Porsche says, uh, okay, uh, great. Uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, mm, uh, uh, uh. You know what it seems like Porsche might want? This is what I wrote in my notes. Is that she kind of just wants Albie to grab a bottle of vodka and say, let's let's just let's just go hook up. I'm like let's just get tanked, yeah. be wild, and what you know? Uh, yeah. What she wants is that she wants a guy to say, hey, let's go to the club, let's get let's dance, let's get drunk, and then let's go back to your room and back. That would be a really great day for Porsche of what she's after. I can't picture Albie doing any of those things. It's the last one. I think you'd bang her. I think you would. In your your words, bang. I don't I don't say stuff like that, but that's what you said. I, I'm here for all the vulgarities. I got you, man. <laughs> got to Harper. She's in bed with Ethan. She's apologizing for being a shrew. Poor Harper. I feel bad about for Harper here. Because she's beating herself up a lot. And I don't think this entire situation is all her fault, as I have um, been a Harper apologist this entire episode. Uh, she then says that she, what might be the most real shit that she says the entire two episodes is... 
I feel like we're LARPing as rich people. Spencer, you're on the internet, you're online, you're a very hip guy, you have a lot of friends in the um, social media influencing community. What is LARPing? Uh, LARPing refers to live action role play. It's where you, in public, for various for various purposes, along with others, are engaging in some form of either fantasy or different setting, rather than living your own life. It it can play out in any number of particular ways, uh, in any particular of uh, communities or settings. In her case, it's I don't really feel like I'm a rich person and I'm just faking it here in the real world. And like you. That was a real moment of honesty right here that I, I appreciated this character and sympathized with, but she's clearly not comfortable in her own skin and the world that she's being now, now part of. She feels like it is just performative. She feels like it's just, she's putting on a Harry Potter outfit and yelling out Wingardium Leviosa as she runs down the street rather than this is actually her life. Harry Potter, well-known uh, situation where Gandalf does come through in the last book toward the end, kill Harry and then take him off to Mordor. We all, we all know that, right? And, and it's instead um, of another podcast, I literally don't know if you're lying or not. Can't say, <laughs> don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a full fucking to- Tolkien crossover. Can't say. What I, what I enjoy about this podcast is that we have a lot of new listeners to Magnum Talks who are just here for White Lotus. And I throw shit like that in and it has to be baffling to them what the fuck I'm talking about. Like, why is he why is he referencing to Harry Potter and lying about the ending of it to this poor guy? What is what is this joke? If, if our listeners want to dig into like a hundred hours of background to understand that joke, good luck and God bless. That's a that is a long term joke with a long term payoff. Hopefully, Pop it um, around. It's a fun podcast. We want to listen to it, too. Yeah, Spencer does a chapter-by-chapter uh, chapter reread of Harry Potter called Pottery Round. He has not gotten to the ending of it yet. And on all of our podcasts, I like to uh, lie to him or maybe not lie I to don't him know. about what, what the finale is You're an and what the we end of it is and, uh, and really make him uncomfortable. It's a lot of fun for me. I really enjoy it. I, I'm, I'm um, not expecting a full burlesque play. You've tried to convince me of that. The entire book is just that I don't believe you. Stop saying it. Hermione, Harry. No. It's happening. Um, so <laughs> she says, um, he says, well, how, how are we LARPing basically? She, and she says, I just don't want him running off on rubbing off on you, you know, and I don't like the way he alpha dogs you. And we, I'm telling you, he does alpha dog him. He, he does. He does. But again, it, I think the bigger problem with respect to it is how Ethan responds to it rather than the fact that Cameron's doing it. But he is very much trying to alpha dog him. And the way it bleeds into what he's trying to get on with Harper is where that gets really problematic. But you know. So, um, I've got friends who like love to alpha dog people yes. like constantly. And if I was like alone with my wife and my wife was like, gosh, that guy alpha dogs you a lot. I would, I would not do like, see, cause the problem here, I think the problem is illustrated by Ethan's reaction. Where he goes, no, he's not. No, no, he's not. Where I would probably go. Yeah. But you know, that's how that fucker got Like how, that's how he rolls, man. Like, and that's, yeah. that's what's funny. That, that's what, that's how, that's our rapport. That's how he's funny. That's how we connect. It's okay. It doesn't bother yeah. me. It shouldn't bother you. That's the, the what he should co- say. Yeah. The exact conversation is, man, he really likes to alpha dog you to what your response is. <laughs> yeah. He's an asshole. Yeah, exactly. Just, just yeah, that. No problem. That's it. And that, but he can't do that because of I think we, I think you hit on it earlier God. that it, there's something going on with him. His confidence is really shaky. So cuts Cameron and Daphne in the other room. They're doing exactly what Harper said they'd be doing. Word Cameron's like, why did he marry her? Daphne, she's pretty, yeah, I guess, but she's such a pill. Uh, Daphne then says this line, which uh, whoa, make a note line. of this one, yeah. Uh, whoa, whoa, that's all I got to say. You know, I think some women cut off their husbands' balls, then they wonder why they're not attracted to them anymore. That's a line I wasn't expecting out of Daphne. 
wasn't expecting that to come out of her, but it does. And Cameron even is like, yeah. It almost just cuts off the conversation with respect to it more. It's just even like Cameron's like, okay, yeah, now it's been said. I got, I'm not touching that one. So cut to Dominic who um, answers the door to Lucia. Hey, Spencer, how's Lucia look? And she tells him how great her day was. I bet it was great. Um, he tells her that he's feeling guilty. He's got a sex addiction. He's a, now he's throwing that. It's like, so in yeah. my opinion, for, for me, for me, when somebody says I've got a sex addiction, the whole conversation shifts because if that, if they truly think they have that, that's a real psychological condition problem. Yeah. That there is long-term treatment for that we can get you help for, but you have got to be willing. Like, if you're going to say that, in my opinion, you got to be willing to then do the long-term treatment thing. Because what 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 can be problematic sometimes is, the, and I've only seen men do this, they throw the, I'm a sex addict out. As an excuse. As a as an excuse, but then they keep doing whatever the fuck they were going to be doing. Anyway, yes. Right? It, it, it's, a, it's a cover, not a diagnosis. Right. Yeah. So if he truly thinks that, like you, when you get home from Sicily, like we got a facility for you and we got uh, meetings that you will attend three times a week for the rest of your life. Yes. Uh, he needs to get a handle on it quickly if he's going to, quote, turn his situation around. Lucia then brings in Mia uh, and he, ask again, can the two of them come in? Spencer, how both of them look at this point? Looking good. I think, you know, you, you just use the phrase, get a handle on it. They are very happy to provide a hand right now if, he, if he's in the mood for that. Oh my gosh. Oh, Spencer. Unbelievable. Uh, Lucia then brings um, Mia and both of them go into the room, I think. Uh, I got to Bert and he's uh, listening to music. What? And he's like, what on earth is over the- going on over there? And this is this plays into his whole narrative, which is that Dominique doesn't keep it tight, right? Like this is obviously not a tight way of keeping I mean, like Dominique really could turn the music down. I mean, that would be like at a minimum. What is going on with the insulation in this five-star hotel? I must ask you. Those walls are way too paper thin for the quality of what they're paying for for this establishment right now. That's the problem with this whole sequence. Yes, That's the problem. Absolutely not. Not not the you know having have, bringing over two prostitutes to your room, which is in between your son's room. One and prostitute and one who's just sort of fits in with it. Tonight. You are correct. Prostitute and friend. Uh, Sex worker. In, in, lady of the evening. Uh, <laughs> into your room that is between your son and your father while you're in a very awkward state with they're not divorced they're not even separated really probably i don't know I, they seem separated but it might not might not be legally separated they're they're literally separated maybe not legally at this point uh and you're concerned that you may have sex addiction it's like but i'm really worried about the quality of the insulation between these rooms right now but yeah, but, 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 you know, but he does get a little bit of a case of the fuckets, which a lot of addicts get, which is, yeah, okay, well, come on, we'll do it tonight. Right. And so the two of them come in and it's kind of a scene out of that movie, Spring Breakers, I think that, um, uh, that Vanessa Hudgens was in, ah, yes, 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 yes. uh, where it's basically like two hours of like irresponsible porn. It's like not porn, but it's like porn for being irresponsible. Yes. Um, it's kind of that sequence because they start popping bottles and, and drink, the girls are taking girls are taking off their clothes. But I'll tell you the thing that stuck out to me in this entire scene is that he has an individual hot tub per room on the balcony. Is that what I'm seeing in this fucking? Est- it is a nice resort. It is a nice resort. The insulation. Holy smokes! The insulation is bringing this down to a four and a half out of, out of five star resort. And the gr- and the grout and the grout. They have the to work grout, on the grouting. Dear God, the grout. Yeah, but you know. Um, I, 
I love how on the nose the fact that during the middle of the scene it fades to Mount Etna going off in the background. It's like, yeah, it's a, a little okay, nose, yeah. I'm aware of what, what's going on right now. You know, and if they are setting him up to be a sex addict, there is a moment where they kind of see, like, where he kind of flips. Like, yes. almost like he, he kind of, like, his eyes kind of glaze over and it's like almost he slips he, into that, like, neuropathway of addictive behavior. Yeah. Uh, so cut to Tanya. She gets out of bed. She sees Greg's on the porch. And we hear what he's saying. And he says... Yeah, she's clueless as usual. I'll be home tomorrow. Give you a call when I get in, all right? Yeah, I love you too. So this is the big reveal of the episode that Greg apparently, um, unless there is some sort of like hitch in this narrative that we have not, you know, unless they're misdirecting us in some way, which Spencer posited earlier. Uh, I don't know how possible it is, to be honest with you. I think that he's just got a second family and that um or another girlfriend and that they're in cahoots that he is going to be using tanya for money that's what i got from it spencer were you pretty sure of that or are you just hoping it's misdirection so it's not a boring narrative uh i'm not i'm not hoping it's misdirection i think it's still gonna be a very much very much interesting narrative i'm just expecting it because this writer in this show that's what they run on they run on just building up your anticipation building up your expectations, playing with common tropes so we all go into, you know, the classic literary pathways to then subvert them or not. You just don't know for sure. So I think, I, I think they, them. I think he's a scam artist. I don't think he works for the Bureau of Land it, Management. I think it, that's a complete lie. In which case, his odds of dying on the show have gotten even higher. Yeah. Um, so Tanya is watching this in the background. My question for you, though, Spencer, is did she hear him because she looks very angry but i don't know if she heard him or not i uh, they seem to be wanting us to think she did i don't i don't know how we interpret her face without her hearing at least some aspect of what he said and if she only heard a part of it it's messing with your audience in a way i wouldn't appreciate so i'm working under the assumption she heard it all okay all right well that ends the recap we went a long time this week this was a lot of fun spencer do you want to jump into our segments best line of the episode i am god emperor the segment but you supplied me with nominees every week I, I am ready if you are, sir. Fire away. Uh, I'm just going to summarize it as Tanya's perfect day in Italy. Her Italian dream. It's actually cute. It, it does sound like a pleasant day. The Vespa thing, we've talked about that, whatever else. But the actress does a great job of delivering it with all of the starry-eyed look of, like, a young girl on her first day in Paris kind of thing. It's just sure. got this just, just naive bliss associated with it that's just outright endearing. So, I like that line and that delivery. Um, Ethan's line to Harper about you always do this with certain people it's like you have to find them deficient in some way compared to you it's like I don't know maybe it's your way of soothing yourself when you feel threatened or something it's hard it, it is hot it, it's an interesting line because it it's revealing about three things at once it's revealing about Ethan it's revealing about potentially Harper at least Ethan's opinion on Harper and how Harper reacts to it and it's revealing about their relationship so there's a wonderful economy going to that line, that exchange, in terms of really revealing to the audience, there's a lot to unpack here, and there's a lot here going on, and even what they're saying isn't a complete picture of what's, go- what's happening. Um, but um, I'm suddenly blanking on the line. What's the name of the hotel director again? Um, Starts with a V. Valentina. 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 Uh, several of her little catty lines to Dominique when he's trying to get range for the lady of the evening and her friend to get access to his room uh, are just delightful. Uh, her line of, are you going to all sleep in the same bed? 
Oh, they come and they go, I see. And my favorite, uh, so she'll be sleeping with your father? Would you see it recommends that, you know, give, give her access to his dad's room? All those are delightful in the moment. Valentina is an utter trip, as much as she would be a horrible vacation companion. Um, the line of when Valentina refers to Portani as Peppa Pig had me dying, both in awkwardness oh and also funniness. Yikes. I'd even ending it with, oh, no, I'm Monica Vitti. Monica Vitti's dead. But yes, that was still a really fun delivery, too. Um, the whole exchange begins with, you know, sometimes when I've had too much to drink, I wake up the next day and I realize I've spent a lot of money. And then ending with Cameron's line about, you know, we're not as materialistic as you think or whatever else it was. I liked that because it had an effective moment in both them responding to what the other character said, but also challenging them in a way we haven't gotten out of them before. They've really been kind of passive with them before or, like, um, unintentionally challenging. This one was very direct and it was fun to see Harper almost immediately wilt and run away from it. Uh, the whole Hades raping Persephone thing was great awkward comedy. It just I will not, I will, I will, I make a promise to everybody on this podcast network. I will not be choosing the best line of the episode that includes the word rape. Oh, sir, sir, you're missing quality, you know, quality comedy with that respect. That will comedy. not be doing it. Won't be doing it. All right, fine. Uh, Cameron's line. Well, it's just important. I want you to like us. I want you to like me. I feel like that one's got legs going forward. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Charged. Uh, Bert to Dominic, your mistake was being sloppy. That's what's unforgivable. A man does what he has to do. But you keep it tight. If you're sloppy, it's like you're rubbing your face in it. Bad form. Uh, and then also discussing his picadillos and everything else. Uh, picadillo! It's just a picadillo. Nothing. No big deal. Uh, we, just, we really haven't went through Alpy and Porsche's back and forth, but it feels like that's going to be a heavy part of their characters in terms of that difficulty and divide about expectations and desires. Um, yeah, just a couple more. The, the last line from Greg, she's, uh, yeah, she's clueless as usual. I'll be home tomorrow. I'll give you a call when I get in. All right. Yeah, I love you. I love you too. And then Greg, I look forward to it. I have to, I have to feel like we just got their plot for the rest of the season just summarized in a single line right there. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think that's good. Uh, oh, no. Important line. You know, I think some women cut off their husband's balls and then they wonder why they're not attracted to them anymore. Oh, boy. It's a, it, it's a sudden shocking line, but I feel like, man, that's going to be a theme that's going to go forward later for what characters dealing with in terms of just the perceptions of that. So, very good nominees as always. Thank you, Spencer, for the legwork. I will nominate for honorable mention this week. I'm going to give it to Portia for yikes for him. Pretty funny. <laughs> sure, yeah. And best line of the episode. It's got to be, it's really the only one this episode that I think is going to have you talking, staying, which is, yeah, she's clueless as usual. I'll be home tomorrow. I'll give you a call when I get in. All right. Yeah, I love you too. I look forward to it. So because the, the reason is because like this is going to dictate where the rest of the season goes, I think, for a vast majority of the plot. And it also might be setting up for a multi-season plot, which would be the only multi-season plot we have in this entire show because there's the, 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 the only carryover characters. It, if nothing else, it sets our expectations and our perceptions going forward in a way that is intentional, telegraphed, <laughs> and necessary to keep track of. Okay. All right. The, my favorite segment of the week, best travel partner, worst travel partner. I think we agree on best travel partner this week, right? It's Daphne, right? Kudos to Daphne. She she was doing well last episode, but she knocked it out of the park this episode. I feel like she's going to be a, a good horse for with respect to every future race on this subject. 
best travel partner, you know, a unanimous decision this week. Oh my gosh, unprecedented! Kudos to her. It's Daphne. Daphne had a great episode. Worst travel partner. Who was your worst travel partner of the week, Spencer? Uh I got three possibles to debate, but it, it, it's Greg. It's Greg. Greg's not great. Greg is continuing his reign as, as worst travel partner, but Greg's too easy. Um, more interesting ones. Uh, Dominique, like you said, not a great travel partner. Not not great with his dad. Not great with his son. Not great with spending time with him either. Instead, you're just going off for his dalliances elsewhere. We're not seeing much, we're not, not seeing much positive about him as a travel partner so far. Uh, backup. It's like, I wouldn't want to travel with her, but I at the same time would love to just see her out in the world. But Valentina, on that list. She is a rough person to be like directly traveling with, but... She'd be wonderful to be in the same orbit as. I would like to watch Valentina. I would not like to work for her. I would not like her working for me. I would like to watch her from afar. Mm-hmm. Uh, my worst travel partner of the week. I think. I think until further notice, Greg is is always. He's a constant in this in this category. But uh, but it's too easy. So I'm going with Ethan today because every step of the way. That's fair. This week, Ethan was difficult. He was difficult. What? With everyone, he was difficult with Cameron when he was trying to just do some like very basic, oh, like, like a thing about the jet skis. Um, or, hey, how about this, Ethan? Would it kill you? Rent the fucking jet skis and go jet ski with him. That wouldn't kill you either. Um, and he was also super difficult with, with Harper a lot of the episode. I felt like unnecessarily. It's also notable, too, that by the end of the episode, he had Harper have an, Harper had enough self-doubt that she was the one apologizing to him about ruining their vacation and that she was going to do her best to make things work going forward. No apology from him about you know his interactions with her or anything else. She's the one that's now taking it all on herself about, I'm wrecking this, this is my fault, I'm going to make it better. And I think to a certain degree, Ethan's kind of responsible for having that mindset on this. I mean, Harper could improve. She's making things awkward to it in a lot of ways, too. But it's a heavy thing to take all on yourself right there, right then, and have your partner just go, yeah, good on you for, you know, trying to fix things. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. All right, so we're, we're kind of locked in this week on best and worst travel partners. I think this is where we might diverge. I think this last segment is where you and I might separate like two paths in the wood. Spencer, okay. who is on your death list this week? You have promised us in the past, last best episode, three are you going to give us three this week? Uh, two, two are carrying through from last week. Uh, Greg and Dominic still very much on the death list to me. I very much think that that's going to play out kind of the same way as I discussed before, particularly now evidence with Greg that Greg not may not be long for the earth. Dominic, for a lot of reasons, he's got a lot of potential people that are gunning for him and a lot of just you know risks from his life choices that are going to come to bear. So I think that one's fair. Uh, one that's going to hurt me. I got some kind of vibes from Mia being potentially on the death list this week. Oh, no, Mia. No. I know. It would suck. You said Lucia last week, and I disagreed with you. But it's like this episode, we're like... Is it the singing? The, the, the over-the-top like moment of her singing? It was the singing, get... and like she's too good for this earth, and she's having a great time. And it's like, Lucia would be too obvious, sadly, because the nature of her profession ain't that shit right there. Mia would be like a nice, a tragic pull that they could play into this. And I got some vibes for this episode. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. So I'm going to give my brother, my brother a shout out here. My brother is, my brother is, my brother is the best. He's awesome. And he's my, he's, he's a, he's a listener. Um, and he gave me this theory, which, uh, I thought about just co-opting as my own, but then like, I knew he would just call him credit. Yeah. So here's his theory is that the, the ankle that you see, 
of the dead person in the first scene of the first episode is lily white and skinny and so he's thinking it's not an olive skin person although you know it could be right because you you know could you be, kind of change color you know, water, water, like, water he's thinking he's thinking that might be a, a, a key like a, a sort of um clue here mm-hmm. in that it, it that it's a female because of the, the how skinny the ankle is okay and so um <clears throat> he thinks that leaves daphne it can't be daphne because daphne finds or Portia. So he thinks it's Portia. And his theory about why it's Portia is that Portia clearly gets in the shit of Tanya and Greg. And that Tanya is going to figure out Greg's this whole... Tanya's going to figure out this whole... Portia's going to figure out that Greg has this whole second family. Mm-hmm. And that Greg is going to kill her to stop the secret from getting out to Tanya. Um, and I thought that was brilliant because it... It takes Greg because Greg is the easy one. And if Greg doesn't die yet, because we thought he was going to die last season. If he doesn't die yet again, it will continue to serve subverting expectations. So Greg's the and murderer rather than the victim under your brother's Greg family. is the murderer of Portia. Of one that, of our victims. Right. And then potentially um, he also murders Albie because Albie would be told by Portia about it. So that would be why there's two deaths. Interesting. Okay. I can see. That. I like it. I like it personally. The other, the other theory that I got, and this was from just a, a fan I don't know, um, was that uh, it's uh, all three of the of the men from Sicily die, or the, the all three the, of the, the boys. The entire family that has arrived in Sicily for exploring their roots is is, is toast. Yeah, and that there would be some like the the idea they they went on this whole jag about there would be like uh, some sort of like. Um, continuity or whatever because the, the entire family goes it's a family vacation we're all here together that sort of thing um they've given us a lot of clues that bert might be sick dominique of course is off the rails uh and then albie would be like pulling the heartstrings type thing so i give credence to that one too i kind of like my brothers a little bit better though i like the idea of greg as the murderer to, to keep the secret and that then that will carry over to season three because we'll see tanya and greg at their next resort i feel like the show is playing with her the show is so heavily emphasizing the idea that the women are going to be the murderers because the women are the ones that are always talking about violence and death and whatever else. They even got... Did you notice the little clip that Bert was watching from The Godfather when he was in his room hearing his son throw a wild party next door? Yeah, and wasn't it the scene from The Godfather where they were in Italy? They were in specifically Sicily, I believe. And the, Yeah, so it's kind of... yeah. We yeah. get the famous line from that about, you know, women are more dangerous than shotguns. So yeah. it's like they're even more heavily emphasizing that is that the, women's are gonna, the women are going to be the killers this year. It's like... So maybe they but I don't. But I don't really see Lucia or Mia killing him though. That's, that's kind of weird. But no, yeah, I don't. I don't, I, I don't see Lucia or Mia being the killers. No, sad. Maybe it'd be a fun twist if it were, because so often the you know the character who plays that role is the victim rather than the murderer. But I don't see it set up at this point. All right. Well, I I enjoy speculating on the deaths every week. I do think though, if I had to put Mike my, my money on it, it would be that. What's we have no idea that it's it's something that's so different and crazy that we couldn't possibly guess it, but it is fun to try to guess it every week. Spencer, any departing thoughts here? I on did not two hear Lights? your theories, sir. I want to hear what you think. Oh, I, I'm co- I'm co-opting my brother's one. I, I like the oh, idea of um, cheating. Bastards. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that's once I heard it, I was like, yeah, I like that one. So I get until I get, that, until that, I get that's, any. That's two. I want one. What? Give me one more. Okay, um, Dominic. I think Dominic's got to be up there. Okay, fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not giving you, yeah, I'm not giving you any surprises here. I think, I think that the, the big reveal I had was the, the sort of like idea of, of Greg as the killer. It's Greg, yeah, Greg is the killer. Um, 
I just don't think they're going to kill Tanya. I think that she's going to carry no, over to season three. A, it'll it'll be her it'll be her she's vacation. A lucky penny for the show. I just thought she's the only one I really take off the board. Well, the only one we can literally take off the board is Daphne. We well, that's what I mean. Yeah, of yeah. the of the potential ones, right? Sure. Yeah, Daphne not even potential. Or Valentina or Rocco. Those are the right. three we know make it through the story. Okay. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put Tanya on that list. Everybody else, I think, is chum. Could be could be chum. Okay, fair enough. We'll see what happens. All right, a lot of fun here. As always, I just love talking about this show because it is absolutely ridiculous and satirical and fun. Spencer, any departing thoughts here on episode two of White Lotus? Did you watch the trailer for the next episode? I did indeed. Whoa. Whoa. Lucia, if you did, by the way, if you didn't watch the trailer for the next episode, you don't want to know anything else about it. You can, you can log off now. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Okay. We watched the trailer for next episode. Lucia and Mia with Cameron and Ethan. And then you get the sort of guilty look on Ethan's face. Like he, like he hooks up with one of them. Oh my gosh. That's going to be fun. I am here for the drama. Sorry. Now, no, that's fun. Spencer, let's fun. It's one of those. Let's fun. Yeah, it's one of those things where the la the trailer for the last episode. They gave us the, end of the last episode. A lot didn't that they showed didn't happen in this episode. So they may be feeling free to show us events that are happening over the course of the entire season for each of these. You know, next ons, whatever else. But if this is happening next episode, I am here for it. That's going to be drama rich. Yeah, but it, but also there's an implication that. Harper and Daphne go out into the city, eat edibles and, and potentially hook up with some guys of their own. Like, so they might, Spencer, they might be swingers, but not in the way you're thinking. It might be like an eight, eight way situation, not a four. We're going to need a chart, sir. And I'm here to draw it for you. Yeah, I bet you, bet that you would. And, um, Spencer, just quick question, uh, scientific reasons only. Um, when you were looking at the, um, the next on, how did Lucia look in the next on? Did she look okay? Good. Okay. She all right. Looked, she looked good. She looked good. She looked quite good. Ooh, how about yeah, how about know. that? Looked okay. It looks like she held up between episodes. She didn't. She didn't just fall apart between episodes. Uh, I mean, at this point, based on what we've <laughs> seen so far, unless we're going to end the series with her as a corpse, I'm thinking she's going to hold up well throughout the entire series. Spencer thinks she's going to hold up well. All right. Well, that is uh that is it for us here on the Enjoy Your Stay podcast. We hope you enjoyed your stay. Thank you to everybody for listening. We will be back with you next week. We'll be back with you on our regular schedule next week, which will be Tuesday night. Uh, releasing in your podcast feed Wednesday morning. If you do like this podcast, if you're enjoying it, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. We really appreciate it. We like hearing from our listeners. And, you know, if you're going to rate and review us, obviously do what you want. It's the internet. But we do not do this for a living. We are not professionals. We do this for fun. We put this out here to try to make your lives better That so that if you like the show, you can listen to us and you can enjoy it and you can have it. Like, it would be good for you, right? But we are not professionals, so just keep that in mind. Thanks to everybody for listening to